It's Gentleman Jack. Crack. Cue that fucking jaunty music. Nineteenth-century groveling, groveling, groveling. Good lord. Hey, 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 everyone. Hello. Hopefully, everyone is doing lovely. At the time of listening to this recording, on this lovely crisp November day, it is. It is very crisp here in New York. Oh, look, the British accent is out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, guys, welcome to Historical Nightcap episode 106.5. I feel like that's an actual radio station. Or maybe I'm thinking 107.5. No, 106.5 is. They're both radio stations. Yeah. So would you like to tell the folks what we're drinking today? Uh, it's a little more of that um, very dangerous. Um, I want to <laughs> say it's bitter free because it seems like they. Bitter free? I feel like. There must be some law where they're making people put bitters in the alcohol to keep you from overindulging. What's it called? The uh, drum shambo gin. Oh, yeah. This, whatever this gin is, oh. this is. <laughs> We're like, we don't know the name. I think it's like a gunpowder. Yes, gunpowder. Um, I uh, remixed the tonic water by using uh, vitamin water. It's gunpowder. <laughs> it's called gunpowder Irish gin. Okay. I saw you did that early and I was like, hmm. <laughs> right, I'm gonna. Well, no, I like it. It tastes. It tastes very floral to me. And the tonic water. I mean, you said it didn't taste like anything, and that's why it was so dangerous to you. <laughs> and I suppose you're being honest. But it's floral. Yeah, it had no no taste, but it didn't mean I wanted to stop. Which also gen- means <laughs> <laughs> that it's kind of easy to maybe do a little too much. It's like you have vitamin water in yours, so I don't know if it'll work. But I'm gonna call this the Georgia O'Keeffe drink because it tastes like a flower. Just kind of sapphic, even though she always said she never intended those flowers <laughs> <laughs> to be taken as nethers but art will be interpreted as it will okay. by whomever so shall we cheers oh yes all right this historical nightcap we will be talking about that oh so lovely but painful arduous episode to make it through episode six of gentleman jack do ladies do that and i mean what? it was a lot <laughs> it was a doozy the dolefuls were a plenty they really were plenty, and maybe, maybe we should mention what we've told our Patreon subscribers about, well, it'll be your first tattoo that you're going to be getting, but you guys, I mean, it's less of an accomplishment for me because I have about eight tattoos at this time, but you don't have any. Yeah, I do not have any, so. You've now decided that your first tattoo is going to be an Ann Walker tattoo. Yes, yeah, so it'll be the phrase lifted from... The parchment. <laughs> the, the parchment? Yes. Was it parchment or was it paper? But you guys were talking about the letter that was posted by Anchoma. Anchoma. Maybe like two weeks ago now, where it was a letter written by Ann Walker after Ann Lister's death. And it just <laughs> broke us the fuck down. Should we read it real quickly? Why not? So it was a transcription of a letter from Ann Walker in Moscow on the 17th of December, 1840 to John Booth in Halifax after Ann Lister's death. She writes, Booth, be so good as to tell Mrs. Audy to provide a shirt and stockings for Mr. Green at Christmas, as she did last year, and to give him five shillings. Also to let the woman at Dove House have flour as she has had last year. If old widow Taylor of Lightcliffe be living, be so good as give her three shillings and Betty Hodgson of Hipperholm five shillings at Christmas. Your letters are very satisfactory. 
Go on fearlessly, do your duty, and bear in mind that so the faithful reward is sure. So I just, I mean, as you guys, yeah, as you guys know, we we love Ann Walker a heck of a lot here. I mean, of course, we love Ann Lester, but Ann Walker, my goodness. And so after I had a little emotional moment to myself, a bit of a, a wee cry, I was like, this is, this feels like something I I would like to have on my body. And it seems you felt the same way. Yes, this will be my first tattoo. Have you decided where you, like the region of areas? Not, not still yet. At first I was thinking maybe upper, like quad, but I don't know quad. where. Quad, that's a good I don't placement. know where. I mean, I'm... Less likely to hurt, maybe? Well, the more muscle fleshiness is like, if it's not against the bone, it won't hurt as bad. Like, I was thinking about my hip, but I already have a tattoo on my right side on my hip of like a, well, it's in the simplest form. It's a woman. But it's a woman also designed out of a constellation. But that shit, that shit fucking hurt. Like, if you go around this area, which is the ribs or like by the bone, like I and my pain tolerance is good. I can take a lot of shit. And when the tattoo artist was on my ribs and he did the outline of like the hair, he was like, oh, should I fill, should I fill this in? Should I color it in? And I thought prior to that, I was like, yeah, we gonna, we're going to be fine. We're going to do it all one time. Absolutely not. Because my skin was swelling. And then so when you go, oh. because that's what happens, of course. And then when you go over the, 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 the sensitive skin with the needle again, it's like 10 times the situation. So I had to separate some days in between me getting that tattoo. But then I thought to myself, like maybe... Like, it's two-part. It's a two-parted thing. Like, the pun makes me laugh because I like ridiculous, especially just corny puns. But then also I'm like, because if it was on my hip, just think about the jokes I'll hear for the rest of my life. Go on fearlessly. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, is it getting it queer? (laughs) Lord, I'm too much for myself. But uh, no, that's that's what came to me because naturally I was like, oh, I like the hip area. I like the, because I wasn't thinking like the arm have another idea for my other arm sleeve ish but um yeah no so it's not it's not i'm sure my mom will be absolutely thrilled about another tattoo although realistically she should be over it at this point in time because it's been years since i i shocked her with my first one and she was like oh so this is what we're doing it's like yes mother this is exactly what we're doing (laughs) meanwhile my brother had hid his tattoo he got one when he was 16 and he hid it successfully for like a year and a half by just like changing the clothes he was wearing around the parental units so i mean my mom is the type of person she's like don't mark your body like a lot of dancers are but that that ship has sailed and then my little sister just got her first tattoo a nerdy tattoo but she did which is where her man in ireland so it's a wrap for my mom all she has left is my littlest brother my younger brother and i know she's like oh please but i think it's a wrap for him too like it's all his (laughs) siblings have tattoos it's just a matter of time peer pressure but I like to have important things on me. I mean, I'm not to say that people can't tattoo what they want, but most of my tattoos are actual or they involve quotes of some kind. So it's already worked out that way. So I haven't yet decided, but like you, I'm thinking leg, like ankle area or hip. There's also under the boob, which I have a tattoo under the boob. So then it's not for public consumption. <laughs> it's for private consumption in the boudoir, if you get that close. You know, that's something to find. Go on fearlessly. Oh, don't mind if I do. <laughs> Hey, 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 hey. So it could go there. But yeah, guys, that's what we're going to do. We're probably, we don't know when exactly it's going to happen. But for sure, when it does, you will see stuff on Instagram. 
So if you're not already following us and you're curious about how Terrence will scream, I'm sorry that I'm already saying that you're going to scream. I'm <laughs> now suddenly alert to the concept of me screaming while getting this tattoo. Or grimacing. Or okay, is your pain tolerance high? Like what is the what is the most painful thing that's happened to you? I've blacked out from a toothache. What? Are we like wisdom tooth? Oh, I don't know. Nerve pain? Yeah. Mm. Okay, that I can relate to because, um, yeah, I had an exposed nerve in a wisdom tooth before I got it removed. And it was just, it just sort of happened all of a sudden in a moment. Did you have the pain where every time you breathe? Yeah. Right. It's horrible. It is the worst. I would actually put it right up there with the worst thing I've ever experienced. More than my torn ligaments. More than when I smashed my head open with that metal fang. And had to get stitches for sure, for sure, for sure. I didn't even cry when that happened, but the nerve thing, oh, it was, I was, it was literally like, it was debilitating. just take me into a puddle. I can't help myself. You need to get someone to help me and get me someplace where there was an educated medicine person to figure out what's happening to me because I'm fucking dying. And it wasn't that, it was just the tooth thing. And I got it pulled that night because thankfully, New York City, someone's always up like enough calls. There was a fucking emergency oral surgeon who was like we'll alleviate your your pain and let me tell you that was the not only that it was the fastest dentist situation i ever had where i went in they gassed me up i blinked and it was done i was like oh my god Ooh. oh my god he was a good surgeon dr chang <laughs> i don't think you'll ever listen to this podcast but thank you for alleviating my wisdom tooth pain so okay so you felt that so it won't be bad especially because it's small you will be okay you should be okay I hope you'll be okay. I hope that I'll be okay. It'll be over. <laughs> you never know. Good Lord. Oh, yeah. I wanted to shout out, what was it, Deepu70, where you showed me they'd left us a, a review? Oh, yes. Hey there. Thanks for leaving us a review. And what was it? You said she mentioned us talking about Zayna. Yeah. Zayna the warrior I'm, princess. I'm more and more of the... Thoughts on Xena, where this show is concerned. And it's like, hmm. But yeah, Deepu, thanks for leaving a message. I mean, we do. We both really love Xena, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> Our Patreon supporters recently saw how much we love Xena when they got a little tour of the studio. And they're like, what's right. that memorabilia? What's that fucking poster? Custom. Because we needed it. action figures still Yeah, those are 90s action <laughs> figures. That's right, people. Do all the Xena action figures exist in this studio? Yes. Yes, they do. Every single one. And not just Xena. Multiple versions of Gabrielle, Callisto, Velasca. All the bitches. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for shouting us out. I, I mean, outside of us putting random Xena information in these podcasts, I don't know that we will ever talk at length outside of our private lives about Xena just because we already know about a pretty jaunty podcast oh, yes. that seems to be a lot like us in terms of the length, the amount of time at which they could talk about Xena. So we already knew they were kindred spirits. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to Sarah who put us on to them, but you were already listening to them, which I found out, which of course. Well, yeah. I mean, the power, the passion, the podcast. I mean, they're, they're great. They're great. They're great. <laughs> they're great. So I would love to guess there or someplace else where someone would let me ramble for four hours, potentially, about Zena's exes, because Lord knows. 
Lord knows if a ramble, if a ramble can be had, it's it's by me about Dina's exes. It's like what a half a dozen appear each season. I, I would, yeah. They, yo, okay, <laughs> okay. One of the things that always got me the most fucked up about Zena, but like in a good way, in a misandrist way, was how many people, especially men, Zena done promised her afterlife too. Okay. Remember Marcus season one? Yes. Season one, she was like, Marcus, baby boo, I'm gonna see you in the Elysian Fields, babe. When I die, it's gonna be you and me. <laughs> But little did Marcus know, and all the rest and of the all dudes, the rest. that when Zena was going to die next, she wasn't going back to Elysian Fields. <laughs> like, do you know that sometimes randomly in the day that I just think about the fact that fictionally there's at least 12 dudes waiting in their respective paradises or whatever for Zena, uh-huh. who has literally changed religious places in which she is resting yep. in paradise. She went to like four... <laughs> Yeah, she went, she went to several different afterlives. She did. She she has been. Yes. I call the um the Xena afterlife that she went to with Gabby when they were both crucified. It's like some mix of like of like Buddha Jesus. Like it's Buddha heaven. You know, because that guy they were following was totally a Jesus character, but also mixed with like a Buddha type of thing. But then, you know, Xena went to um that type of heaven. And then immediately what happened? As soon as she got there, she was like, Where's my girl? She's in hell. Well, I guess I'm going I'll to hell to her rescue place. her. Yep. Not a thought of Marcus. Not a single thought of anybody. And I just want to say that I love that about Zena, that she left her lovers wanting. She had someone at every port. People died for that yes. bitch. And she done forgot about every last one. Every last one. And now that I'm thinking about this, I just have to mention, like, because this occurred to me, actually, in thinking about our aunts and, like, how horrible it is. Like, how just bad it is between them. And you know how you're like sometimes like, oh, how could this work itself out? How could this possibly resolve? And it brought me back to that episode in Xena. Perhaps you know where I'm going. But, um, you know, after Gabby decided not to take Xena's advice about her devil spawn child. No, 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 no. Yeah. 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 Solon and his headband is murdered. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Gabby was like, fuck your advice. You know, like, whatever, I'm gonna do what I want. My child's cute. Gabby's child kills Zena's child. And then she goes to like some sapphic Amazon, like oasis of steaming <laughs> a spa to be like, oh, steam the pain away. And Zena runs up in there, ridiculous, snatched Saho from her friends, beats up all the fucking Amazons. Don't she beat up Joxer too in that episode? I feel like everybody Joxer got tried, a piece. Everyone tried, everyone, everybody got a piece. Everyone's like, Zena is not stable, clearly. We have to stop this hoe. And she was like, bitch, I'm Zena. You're not stopping me. She dispatches with everyone. And then she drags Gabby from her sapphic paradise where she is trying to steam the pain away down the mountainside. And for me, it looked like it was miles. And at the time when I was watching, I don't know about you, but I was like, Gabby's dead. <laughs> I was like, why is Gabby's body bouncing like this? But what happened? Gabby had that jaunt. She apparently was dragged for miles by crazy Zena. who's was like, ha, ha, I'm gonna get you. And right before... Zena's about to toss that bitch over to Vereen. Gabby has some jaunt and she's like, bitch, oh, you think you're about to do a murder? Murder, suicide, bitch. And it's me! And they both go off the shit. And I remember watching, I was like, yo, how can my girls come back from this? It is impossible. It is impossible to come back from this. And then what happens? They come out of the water and you see motherfucking Kalisto. Welcome to the land of illusion. (laughs) And it's a musical episode! It's a musical episode! So I just want to say... Deepu 70. It's always great to meet people who can get your references because that's one of my references is lines from that musical episode. How could you? How could yes. you? Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it was so good. But you're like, how can these bitches resolve anything? You're like, with music. And so while we don't have a musical episode to help our ands out, I just 
That was just a random, like it, a musical episode would not fit in. But wouldn't you agree that if there's anything that could just mend the situation in one episode, it's, it would be it's a, a musical, musical episode mm-hmm. where you just sing out your fails. The only other reference that comes to mind is Buffy. Oh, that was weird. I was, was in cool. heaven. <laughs> when I first heard that when Yo, I was little. because it was dark as shit. Yes. It was dark as shit. I was like, well, Fuck. how you feel? How you feel? You pulled your best friend out of heaven. How do you feel? And that's the perfect parallel for uh, Zena pulling Gabrielle out of her lesbian heaven. Oh, gosh, guys. Well, Deepu, I hope you enjoyed that little tangent that we took into Zena, but that was for you. And thank you again for leaving a lovely review. We appreciate you. So we might as well get on to our first segment, the Script Breakdowns with Sally. Very curious. There's some wild stuff in here. I mean, there always is. <laughs> the gunpowder shambo and the hipster tonic water we received. Uh, How's it treating you? They pair rather nicely. but again, They do pair nicely. I will say that. I, I don't know nothing about it. It tastes like I'm drinking a flower. Well, I was going to say, like, to me, there's not really a taste, but it's not stopping me. So, you know, there is that. No, that's the danger zone. (laughs) That's the danger zone when alcohol does not stop you with its repugnant stuff. That's how you know you might drink too much of it, which, (laughs) listeners, we already know. We already know. So please say your prayers now for Terence and for me. And these (laughs) dolefuls. And these dolefuls, God. And we start out in the script, of course, with the dolefuls, essentially. So, of course, we start out in the Dolefuls, the shitty Dolefuls that we were in before, which is in Bruised and Bloodied. Mm-hmm. So that's the same. But there is a note when we get to the scene of Anne home back at Shipton and determined not to be seen by anyone in the house. You know, she kind of goes back through the kitchen so she can get up to her room undetected. But they have a note from Marion, who's at tea with Mr. Abbott and her aunt. And the note that made me laugh is just like, you know, Mr. Abbott is still holding court with Marion who nods in agreement at everything Abbott says. Marion, why? That's it. That's the that's the only note I have for that scene. I mean, I mean, uh, Marion, love yourself, girl? Like, Abbott? I mean, the only other thought I have to why Mr. Abbott could be consistently just going off at the flapping of the gums is, <laughs> is that he's trying to filibuster t- so that uh, Anne can make filibuster. her grand that's good. appearance. Yeah. Really? Uh, That's uh, actually a good idea. I mean, part of me is like, he just won't shut the fuck up because he loves to hear himself talk. And wasn't he talking about like the, um, the reform act? Yes. So in a sense, he is being especially vulgar to use Anne and Aunt Anne's words because he's talking about doing away with the old establishment, you know, which is part of his issue and trying to get with Marion because the old establishment is aristocracy. It's gentry. It's these motherfuckers. And he's like, okay, I wasn't raised like that, but you know what? A revolution is coming house. You know, no one likes the word revolution, but it's coming. So in a way he's talking that shit to the people of the category that he thinks should be done away with. So, I mean, that's, you're not going to win over any points by the same time. Am I supposed to believe that he was trying? Cause I don't. And that's why I'm like, Marion, love yourself. Mr. Abbott is a loser. But he did flaws. Oh, God. <laughs> There's also a confirmation in the notes between Cordingly and Anne when she sees her that she doesn't want to fuss from Cordingly, which, of course, we we knew and we could tell. And there were notes to the effect of what we were talking about before, like, has she cracked a rib? What's going on over Oof. here? Right. 
obviously acting direction for Saran. There was another interesting note about Anne Lister's attack. So the description says, Autumn 1832. So Anne heads into her bedroom through a door we might have previously thought was only a cupboard. Parentheses, Shibden is full of nooks and crannies. She pulls her great coat off, throws it on the bed, and checks herself out in the mirror. One eye is starting to swell up and her head is banging from the several blows she's taken. She's in real agony as well from various other injuries, perhaps bruised ribs, and we realize it's only through the force of her titanic will that she's managed to get home so swiftly and all in one piece. Now she's safe, however, she can let go a little. As well as the agony, there's the shock of the sexual assault and the terminal argument with Miss Walker. I mean, that was a terrible thing to notice in that scene when she was pinned up against the brick. And it looked right. like he was uh, like trying to, you know, he got paid to rough her up but he looked like he was trying to take a little off the top for himself and just be a vagrant as a man who is dominating a woman and i guess that's one of his little kinks or what have oh, you oh god are you talking about this assault of the brute the, yeah i mean misandry no i i thought that was interesting because i just randomly when i was going over notes the other day i was talking with a friend about i think we were talking about some other biopic and the line that some historians and, and artists walk between what do you omit, what do you soften, what do you make more intense of a person's real life story to then try to communicate something to the audience who's watching. And as we've discussed, there's nothing super implicit or explicit in Anne's diaries that suggests she was in a fight outside of this brute came up on me, made a catch in my queer and how bitchily I swear on these occasions. And so I was thinking about some more, and especially with the casual queer, I'm like, that had to have been the most offensive part to Ann Lister. And I, I really appreciate Sally reading into this because as I perceive for myself, I don't know that Ann Lister is the personality type, especially given the situation, that she would feel like she's gonna write down that he physically assaulted me and that, or, you know, like just with physical pain and that's bothered me because of that interaction. I feel like what potentially bothered her the most was to catch at her queer, especially right. when, you know, you think about how she related to her body as a woman and the fact that she really wasn't into women touching her there, which is totally a thing for some women sexually. And so it's not like it would be a double whammy that she's going to have issues with Mrs. Barlow being like, I want to be near. I want to be near you. And she's like, girl, I don't... <laughs> That's not what we do. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> boundaries that... How much worse is it for a dude, for a bloke, for a bigot to make a catch at your queer? And for lack of a better term, feminize you in a way that Ann Lister never wanted right. to be feminized, reducing her right. down to her genitalia. No, yeah. I feel like this was something that she was like, well, this won't be happening again anytime soon. So to give anybody the benefit of the satisfaction of thinking that they got under my skin, I mean, they got another thing coming. And she references several times in the episode, but not for the reasons that he thinks. Um, right, because she needs to make that motherfucking distinction. Like, look, like you didn't get over on me. Right. Motherfucker. Okay, cool. So I feel like we're in agreement there. So after that wonderful <laughs> scene, there's a sad note given for when Anne opens the box with the ring where Sally writes, so bold, so delicate. It's a poignant moment. Will Anne give up on Miss Walker or not? And I was just like, oh. She blows hot and cold, that one. <laughs> well, only hot in the bedroom, but uh, cold, cold elsewhere. There was also a note about in the morning scene about Marion being a spin doctor, which I thought was hilarious. I was looking for some insight into what we were talking about. Like, oh, is this Marion trying to be a good sister? 
to Anne when she was playing into this idea that is definitely hinted at in the script that Jeremy and Aunt Anne are like, I don't, this isn't making the most amount of sense. Like, why <laughs> were you jaunting on the wall again oh, in the whoa. dark? <laughs> right. The specific note says, well, classifies Anne's talking that she's doing at breakfast into spin doctoring because there's a note that says, after Anne replies to Marion, where Marion's like, you missed Dr. Abbott. And she's like, oh, was that yesterday? How was it? <laughs> the note says, neither Jeremy nor Aunt Anne have an immediate response because neither of them liked him. Marion's obliged to borrow a bit of Anne's spin doctoring. Doesn't really say that Marion is aware that she's spin doctoring, but that's still just the way I'm going to read into it at this time. Right. And he's like, afternoon tea was, was just fine. And no one seems to have anything to say. And she's like... <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> she was quiet. quiet. <laughs> she said, and she then was that's, quiet. that's round two for tea. And... Right. That's when a mom comes by. And, right. and it's the last a... time that apparently Abbott tries to show some interest in poor Marion. I mean, but the, again, that's, you know, filibustering to the extreme. <laughs> can we see if we can squeeze a bit more tea out of that pot? Like, like it doesn't have to be over. Like, it is true. Oh, there was an interesting note about like Anne Lister and how she works with people when in the scene of where she's talking to Marion and the note says, Anne wants no fuss. If Anne says she fell off a wall, that will become the truth. It just reminded me of what we see her energy with Mrs. Priestley and everyone else in Halifax where she's like, bitch, the truth isn't what is. It's what I say. OK. And if we repeat it enough, that's exactly what happens. I mean, the scary thing is, is that we've seen this kind of um, what Sue's saying, truth saying in this series already. True. And it's with a character that I'm not particularly fond oh, of. What, what character is this? Um, you know, the uh that that Christopher um that Christopher Rolson guy. God, the only like, thing good about him is his dog. His cute little dog. Like, hey, I see you got a new rig. What happened to the other one? You said you loved it. No, I didn't. It's <laughs> like, um, what do you mean that you didn't love it? And the acting direction though for Saran Jones for Ann Lister in this scene after Marion is like, you know, if you could be president next time, that'd be cool. I'd be grateful. They have Ann nods and then yeah, whatever. <laughs> that just made me laugh. Like, I mean, that's always going to be Ann's energy when it comes to Abbott or I probably would suspect any dude that isn't like a count or something. Right. She would just be like, no, no, no. So the next interesting note was, not surprisingly, has to deal with everyone's favorite ex, Freddie. Freddie! That was delicious, Mariana. And what intrigued me about this is what I perceive to be a little bit of Sally's petty, but she really just puts it into perspective because every time we go to see Mariana, she makes it very clear to, and this could also just be production stuff, but in every time, like at this point, we know Lawton Hall, but for her to keep restating this luxury, this place, this splendor, and let's contrast that with Anne in her grief shawl. <laughs> In the cold. <laughs> because that's the note. Her bed is a grief shawl. It really is. So the intro for Mariana in this letter, after Anne starts writing, My dearest Mary, it says, We discover Mariana Lawton reading Anne's letter amidst the luxury and splendor of Lawton Hall. <laughs> I'm just like, I just remind us all what Mariana gave up, like a life with her lady for. 
<laughs> for the luxury and splendor. Sure, of course. And there's also a note that, of course, Mariana is intrigued by the subtext of Anne's letter. And I'm not surprised by this because I really did feel that Lydia Leonard was giving her all in those very <laughs> short scenes to communicate Mariana's energy to me. And I said, if there was many Emmys for just little side things given out, she should get one because I would not have these intense emotional reactions to every time I see her in a Mariana scene if she was not doing a fantastic job. Right. Playing Mariana and living up to all the things that I actually suspect and think about Mariana, which, like we said in the group of confessions, at the end of the day, like there was love, but it was really about sex. Like when the sex is so good that you just can't see straight and you're on Lista, you're like, oh, let me just forget everything I thought just now that was bad about this relationship because I just went to Italy and goddamn. Right. And like we said, the dirty talk, but we'll save that for episode seven, which is coming up. Episode seven, you guys. Are you excited? I'm excited. I better not see any more of that baby goat head budding. <laughs> you guys know I what I'm talking about. No, what does she say when she's like, when she does the Billy Goat? Oh, I, something yeah, like, are we I doing know. this? Or? Oh, yeah, she is. She's like, are we doing this? Like, how Love dare her. you? Like, that's Love how you ask. <laughs> I know you know how to do dirty talk, right, Mariana? That's how you asking. I'll be doing this, girl. Mm. Anyways, let me not get carried off on my Mariana jaunt because there'll be plenty of time for that in episode seven. Okay. So was curious about this, which something you were asking about is that in the scripts, they actually do give an indication of the passage of time, like specifically ah. with the days, because all of the scenes have a note that... It is in the autumn of 1832. And then in this particular note, when they're talking about Mariana and Anne writing back to each other, it has a note that says, Anne, her bruising now slightly diminished, parentheses, four days on, stands reading Mariana's letter. And so it seems as though a short week, a business week, passes by in this exchange of letters, which makes sense, given the stuff. And this is her... On the hunt for a groomsman, and then at the same time defending the fact that although she may have used the phrase her friend previously. Right, that's why Mariana was intrigued. <laughs> I mean, because like we said, it's it's multiple things. It's not just about I need a groom because, girl, you've been back at Shipton for a minute and you haven't been stressed about the groom. You need a groom because you need to be off. And who else is going to know better besides Mariana or maybe Tib what Ann Lister does? Well, something goes wrong with a girl, but be off to some other place so I could just not deal with what's happening here right now because I would rather not. I need to find out where other prospects are because that is how her optimism works. She's like, I'm going to jaunt fast, jaunt forward, think positively, glass half full. It's fine. It's fine. Like we saw her in New Year's in the last historical nightcap where she's like, okay, so I'm alone. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So maybe I'm single for the first time since I was 15. Okay. Well, you know what though? I'm happier. I'm happier than I've ever been. You know why I say that's bullshit? Because Ann Lister's the same person who had an ache for a grubble. She, she was sure that did. gay that she was like, I am aching for contact with a woman. So, and that jaunt of being fine alone, that's only about a, a day or two, a week or two before you start incurring crosses and you're like, motherfucker, I, I need a woman. I need to, I need to be close to a lady, lady fair. We've spent a lot of time talking about her, her shit talk to herself. And this is one of those, <laughs> this is one of those things that like, ah, oh, I could totally be single. You and Lister, single? Not on the grubbles? In what life? In what reality? Yeah, you don't have that setting. You, you you don't have that version of jaunt. Like, your jaunt is the jaunt of grubbles ad infinitum. There is a note made, too, of when Mariana is in her letter and towards the end where she's like, Tell me, Fred, is it Miss Walker of Crow Nest with whom you plan to travel? The note is that Anne's face changes. It falls. Her energy is sucked away. That was Mariana doing her thing of being like, so is this Walker, Miss Walker, still a thing? Will I be having to make nice and polite and have propriety with your new girl in the room? And Alice is like, no, 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 no. 
And then, of course, we have Mariana's. But you mentioned her twice in your last. <laughs> and for Ann Lister's Did I, it has well dry. <laughs> yes. That's her response. I mean, come on. Was that that jaunty in our earlier <laughs> communications? I could, I could hardly recall. So then next, we're moving on to that lovely and heartbreaking scene with Aunt Anne. Oh, no. Indeed. If anything of note, it's that they mentioned some stuff like that Anne at that time has suspicion of the Rawsons, you know, obviously sending the brute to do her harm. And there was a lovely note that I like about Aunt Anne because it just sort of plays into what we were talking about and how Aunt Anne, as we can tell, seems to work with her niece when it comes to talking about things. And the note after Aunt Anne is like, are you okay? And Anne is just like, mm. She flops on the sofa again and tosses the note to the other end of it from Jeremiah away from her delicately and at length sensing a change of subject is called for and then they have aunt Anne saying her stuff and it's like yeah she can sense like that bitch she knows she knows and luckily she began conversation with something no one wanted to talk about <laughs> i know that happened guy i am i i i don't i i couldn't want to talk to Abbott. yeah it's vulgar it's very vulgar <laughs> found him a know-it-all but if she likes him no no Again, I'm going to go back with my theory. Like, you think Marion has already smashed. I think she's in desperate need of a smash. What is Marion, three years younger? Whatever. She's in her 30s. She's and if she is still a virgin, she deserves right. to smash. She's living under the patriarchy. Shipton is her ancestral home, but it's not hers. She is always stressed out by Ann Lister and her fucking jaunting ways. Don't you think Marion deserves for someone to blow her back out? But I tell you what, I don't think a single man in Halifax knows how to blow a back out. I could be wrong. I, I don't even but I'm probably not. I'm probably not. No, yeah. I'm just going to make that statement. Unless there's some queer goings on that we don't know about. <laughs> I'm going to also say that that's a big fat silch. And not well, I'm going to say there's always some queer goings on that somebody doesn't right. know about. Always. And, then, and then those queer goings ons are having, are incurring the crosses. There. Hey! They're hey! getting their O's. Incur cross today. <laughs> New merch. But that announcement coming at the end of yeah, this episode. Lord. So, yeah, that happens. And the other note that I liked was what we suspected from at the very end of their conversation when Aunt Anne is just trying to be like, well, you know, it's a big step and her family isn't into the shits. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's all for the best. And we got the feeling that even though Anne Lister was like, it's all for the best, it's off, like it's whatever, it's fine, that when her aunt agrees with her, essentially, she's like... That's not really what I thought, though, that it's all for the best. And the script note basically says, Anne stung by this. Right. I can't believe that worked. Right. <laughs> She's like, wait, auntie, I was venting, but you're not supposed to agree with everything. And it continues. A large part of her isn't reconciled to the fact that it's all off with Anne Walker. Joseph Booth has answered the door, I guess off screen. And now he taps on the drawing room door, straightening his liveried waistcoat. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what communication is happening. Between... No, um, if Booth's appearing. Oh, no, no, no. That's, uh, I trailed off. I trailed off. So that's Joseph Booth saying Mr. Washington is here. Got it. Now, see, now that's, I, I know where that leads. Okay, great. Right. It leads to a devastated Washington who's like, we're not taking a pants, ma'am. I mean, we were Why? going to, but uh, my, my, my money source has gotten hot and cold. Yes, right. No. It does say basically all that shit that Washington is disappointed and and doesn't particularly like to be seen the way that he is seeing her flip floppy, changing a decision that she's making. But at the same time, she got real shit happening and everything is crumbling at the same motherfucking time. And there's a note that says that Anne changes the subject because she senses his disappointment. And then she asks oh. about his daughter. Right. Doing her little 
apprenticeship thing. And it's like, oh, man. And she's always about saving face to a certain extent. So that totally makes sense. I This shouldn't be surprising, but there were no relevant notes on the baby heads in the show. Susanna and Thomas. Even if there were, we don't need them. So we're moving on. Yeah, we're good. We're moving on. <laughs> and we're on to what fucked me up last episode. What fucks me up always when I think about the transition from Susanna and Thomas just being all simple and in love to Ann Walker's Night Terrors. Oh, what fun. What fun. No. No fun. The opposite of fun. So the notes about the dream are horrible. Literally horrible. Like literally worse. Somehow. And maybe Sally, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we see in the scripts that, okay, this has been cut. This has been reduced or changed or whatever. So who knows what happens when you're shooting the thing. But I, you know what? I'll just read it. Okay. So it starts exterior Halifax dream one day. And I'm like, dream one. Were there other dreams that we didn't see? Good Lord. Good Lord. Poor Ann Walker. Okay. A cold gray morning over Halifax. There's a nip in the air, an eerie chill. A cruel winter is round the corner. A hangman's noose is thrown over a wooden frame and then another one right next to it. One is adjusted slightly higher than the other. One for a man, one for a woman. Crowds start to gather. Stalls are set up. Hot food is sold. Street entertainers, jugglers, acrobats perform, as well as freak acts like the bearded lady, the thin man, a man on stilts, a pickpocket. It's some sort of holiday. Clearly something's happening. A big event. Big wooden gold doors are thrown open, and Ann Lister and Ann Walker, both of them with their hands tied, are thrust out into the light where the jeering crowd greets them on the back of an open horse-drawn cart. They both look a bit bruised and beaten like they've suffered abuse while they've been incarcerated. In great contrast to everyone else's holiday mood, they both look pallid and Ann Walker looks terrified. The crowd jeers and throws things. Rotten veggies, dead rats, a dead cat, feces! I can't. Fucking feces. I can't. So let me, all right, let me just finish. Ann Walker can't stand it. Me too, girl. She's going to pieces. Ann Lister, of course, is determined to be defiant and merely appear interested in it all. The humiliation goes on. People spit and shout obscenities and hurl muck at them. There's a bishop sitting backwards on the horse that's pulling the cart they're in, and he's assailing them with an everlasting torment and hellfire sermon, straight from an ancient religious tome. And so listen to this shit. It's different from what we heard in the final cut. Bishop. So bishop, not a cardinal. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in their heart. If your right eye causes you sin, tear it out. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, and it was made as a place of everlasting torment and punishment. You You are are going going to to die. die. Right, right. (laughs) But here's, but it continues. Sally's like, continued. Right, that's what I said. It's continued. So not only do we have dead rats and cats being hurled, we have an extra soliloquy from the bishop who continues to say, you will take your last breath and you will stand before God, condemned as sinners, and you will be tossed naked into the fiery pit. You will awaken in the bottomless pit. You will lift up your eyes in hell and there is no salvation in hell. There is no forgiveness in hell. What goes to hell stays in hell. Every soul lost without God will be pulled down into the acrid choking torment of eternal damnation and to the sound of weeping and wailing and fury and the gnashing of teeth. And this isn't done. Sally keeps going with the scene. She's like, effigies of the two women were dangled from poles, like they're hanging already. The effigies are rubbed together like the puppets slash effigies are having sex, simulating sex. So someone, some bigot is, is doing 
puppet sex. Like this is the handmaiden. Anyways, maybe some of you guys will get that reference if you saw the film. Right, so they're simulating sex and the two men operating these creepy puppets make over-the-top kissing and sex noises. It's all very weird, very, very weird and sick. And then Ann Walker, and this is still the script notes, by the way. And then Ann Walker gets sight of the two hangman's nooses, his and hers, up aloft as the cart draws near the scaffold. It chills her to the core and she can feel the blood draining from her face as she loses consciousness and a grandfather clock strikes a sonorous three. And then it's like, suddenly, Ann Walker gets up. So, uh, <laughs> your thoughts <laughs> on Sally's way worse Night Terror than what we actually got? I mean, I still, didn't, right, I still didn't even like what they gave us as far as the Night Terror. Like, that was a lot. I mean, the piece, the calm, and the It was longer. Night it definitely Terror seemed like there was an intro and then yeah. a thing. I think the notes definitely explained why Mrs. Priestley looked so great because clearly they were trying to set up this idea that it was a party atmosphere. Party. Well, I mean... I mean, because they said that there's... Here's games. a bearded man. Right. Or bearded... No, bearded man. No, this has a bearded a carnival, lady. Like, it's a, right. That's what I mean. Like, entertainment. A juggler, right. an acrobat. But so, again... It's a, a Sunday game. event. Right. It's... You go to... You, it's a What the fuck thing. was up with the British at this time? Like, I just can't imagine going to see somebody hang for fun. It's fucked up. And the effigies. Sally, let's mock what we perceive to be queer sex. In a public forum with effigies. Well, you know, when you're a bard or something like that, you got to play to the crowd. So, Lord, I, I mean, I, I mean, I guess, but God. So I need a refill. I'll be back. Are we thinking? I mean, this is something that I hope someone <laughs> asks her or I would love to ask her. Oh, wait, you're saying that you have to pee. No, refill. Oh, <laughs> my bad. He's going to refill his gin, guys. Get some more of that floral gunpowder drum shambo. Ooh, he has returned, friends, with a, a jaunty glass full to the brim, just to keep you all informed <laughs> <laughs> on his progress. So, where do we leave off? <laughs> okay, slurp that shit. Mm. Do it. <laughs> You're like, that's good. That's real good. Yeah. I see... Another dirty joke just slipped into my mind. That's how I know the gin is doing is work. Because I'm like, girl, Candace, focus. Girl, what are you doing? Okay, so where are we? Sometime after the dream. And so one of the last notes about this was that Ann Walker saw the dream as a premonition, which seems heavily implied that she was concerned it was going to happen. But the script actually says as much. What I also found interesting in this script, and who knows if I'll ever get that, because usually when people omit stuff, it's because of reasons that other people don't need to know about, not in production. But there's a number of omitted scenes in this script where it was obviously deleted before. I assume this was a shooting script. And then like we've seen before, things get cut or they don't make it because of time constraints, whatever, la, la, la. But there were two scenes omitted directly after Harriet comes into the room and is like, are you all right? What's going on? And, and so I was just curious. But if they had to do with the Park Hill, good. Delete them. Keep them on the cutting room floor. Or not even the cutting room floor. It's not like it was ever shot. Like just the, the floor of your hard drive of where right. you delete text that you're no longer going to be using. Actually, belay that. Four. So it's scenes 20, 21, 22, and 23. We're all gone. And 24, excuse me. So maybe it's her going, oh, I'm not ready for this jelly. You know, maybe her. there was another dream. Who knows? Because that note did say dream one. And right, maybe so upon two. thinking, they were like, this is too heavy. We don't need to continually traumatize our audience, which thank you. Thank you for that. So the next note I wanted to mention has to do with Ann Lista getting in Jeremiah's face so he can't miss the bruises. They do basically confirm prior to that that of what we were thinking that Jeremy, Captain Lister, 
is talking to Jeremiah and right. shooting a shit about Abbott all nonchalantly, but before Captain can get any real information, Anne comes in and she's already done with Jeremiah. Oh, she sure is. It's like, why are we here? Why are we having this discussion on a matter that we have resolved time and time again? I love the note of like as Anne sweeps in, snapping her watch fob shut because she's checked the time upon stepping into that room and she's like, 120 seconds and <laughs> yep, this I'm is out. All, this is all you I'm get. I'm out of this shit. This is all you get, bitch. And of course, there's a note that she does not shake his hand and instead simply gets right in his face. So he can't really avoid seeing what's left of her cuts and bruises. And I'm like, yeah, bitch, because Anne got that energy. But also good, a good move for him to be like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, some something's happened. You should see the other guy. Yes. Okay. So there is a note about that. That's... Um, <laughs> It actually made me laugh because they say that Ann Lister thinks that what her father said is vulgar, but she delights. Okay. <laughs> she delights in what he said. Because it, it helps fuel what she's going for in this moment. It's like you're again in my house for this meeting. Are we to assume that there were days and times set? I have to assume that they're not. I feel like. Days and times for who, Jeremiah, to come over? Uh, for yes, for any Ralston to come over, I assume so. But whether or not Anne cares, I mean, they send <laughs> notes all the time, and she's like, "Well, whatever." With these, no, notes. I really feel like that first time when she was pulling up the shrubbery, she had a she had a, a, a itinerary for that day, and he just <laughs> happened to be in town, and so the <laughs> little girl came and told her that she, yeah. he was here, and she was like, "Well, you know." I guess when she was I'm, doing man's when work when I'm expecting right you. when she's at Ann Walker's place she can't be found when she's doing man's work she's just outside right so like could you get her please and she's like well it's gonna take me 40 minutes to walk you said it takes 25 minutes for you to walk anywhere as long as a Rawson is not at the location it takes me 25 minutes <laughs> if yep. there's a Rawson could take me 45 I don't know I don't know it's science I don't know how to explain it to you I like that science me too I like that science and so the note is after Jeremy Lister's like, you should have seen the other guy. It says, Anne's just about to balk at her father's vulgarity. But in fact, she quite likes it. It is, after all, the truth. Ha <laughs> ha! Ho! Yes. And then it also makes a note of how Anne, you know, observes how Jeremiah reacts to this. But it appears to her that he knows nothing about the beating. Right. So, I mean, yeah, we get that energy. He couldn't knock a skin off a rice pudding! Like, that's... That's a line... I feel like I want to use that. I mean, you could. Myself. I will. I'll find a way. There is a note about when Anne's talking to her dad after Jeremiah leaves where the captain is like, I thought, um, are we not sinking our own pit? Of just how Anne Lister does not want to go through the story again that she's already gone through with her aunt because it's already painful enough for her to talk about it, period, let alone going back to that place and reliving it. The note is that she dries up as she's giving her little mini soliloquy. And just doesn't, just she doesn't finish. She's just sort of like, she's on the rant and then she's like, fuck it. And then we get to that part. She said, I could borrow the money, but you know, I can't. I don't want to. So that's not happening. Right. And that, you know, she didn't fall off a wall when she transitions to that. I was beaten up. Beaten up, dad. And there's a note there for that, that she closes the door when she tells him that because she does not want her aunt in particular to hear it or the servants. Right. Could you imagine? What? <laughs> Poor Aunt Anne (laughs) might have a coronary right then and there. We don't want that. We want her to live. Live, Aunt Anne. So, no, we cannot be putting her through those dofuls. There's actually a, I want to say, oh, actually, we do get it into the entries because ultimately the period of time that we see in this one episode, essentially, and a little bit of the previous episode of her going back and forth with Anne Walker and it escalating is like two months 
in addition before she goes to Scotland. So the new year happens and there's January, February, and then Walker leaves on February 18th. And so there's, right. So there's more stuff, which also plays into the closeness that she ends up feeling with Catherine because they've been shooting a shit trying to take care of Miss Walker for two months together as Catherine is there as well. So not like the week-ish that it seems it could be, but it is it is a two-month affair. So then the timetable from now is it was first a business week and then now we're at possibly... No, Maybe the- two-ish weeks. I feel like there's another note that'll say like when we get to like four-ish right. weeks, but that's what Sally is doing like potentially for herself too as she was figuring out the timeline and how she was going to put things in to make okay. it make sense. Okay. And the final note for Jeremy in that scene, as he's concerned about Anne, is like, why does she bite off more than she can chew? Because some people just do, Captain Lista. That's been a great scene for a little Jeremy flashback. I don't want to say that he's someone who is not always lucid. I want him <laughs> to be lucid. But if the way I get my younger years for Ann Lister is Oh my god. A Jeremy we Lister. We need teenage Ann Lister so bad. If so I have to, if if it has to be through a Jeremy Lister flashback, if that's the only way I can get it, him just sitting quietly in his chair thinking about <laughs> young rambunctious Ann Lister until you hear Cordelia wake him up. that would be hilarious we need these one shots we need for hbo to provide the budget because remember people used to do that like webisodes like just little things that's content that lives online but it's attached to the major property just i don't know just spitballing some ideas here bbc hbo giving you something you could possibly do with actors that are already going to be involved in shooting in 2020 i don't know I'm not saying it's going to be easy to find a bitch that can compare to Saran Jones. I'm just saying y'all should think about it because we want that content. We really, 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 really. Like if you could see my sleeves right now, you would see how oh my much God. I want this yes, content. I want that content the way Ann Walker wants her O's, which is, it's, yes, it's the kind of lust that sends you to hell. It's the kind of lust that gives you eternal damnation if you were to talk to Ann Walker about it. That's that's how that's how badly I want young Ann Lister. The oasis in the desert. Like the deserts miss the rain. That's how we know the gin's hitting right now. Because yes. we have not sang a song. Actually, there was that little piece for Zena, but that was within context. So I know it's gonna be flowing from you now. I can tell. <laughs> All right, so now we are back to Ann Walker. And as we expected, there are notes there that says Ann Walker is fucking exhausted from her sleepless nights which makes total sense i was going to say that should she not sleeping she's having a horrible time of it she she she's fighting the the desire to get right i did i did forgot to mention that the note on james is that he is looking subdued and worried so that was there but yes so we're back at crow nest it's just so interesting that we get to see these battle scars from these visions and nightmares that Ann Walker is enduring to the point where it's showing on her person where it's like she really is exuding this oh yes I'm yes, being yes. stripped of all Actually, my bright and shine there's a note based off what you said when you when we were recapping the episode and you were like oh she's waking up and she's seeing her lady love looking kind of like her dream so there's totally a note in here about and Walker noticing that and being bothered. Yeah, I mean, because they they both looked like they were apprehended. I, we can't presume it was mid-grubble and they got beaten up and, and bound. Or Do you whatever. just want me but, to have, like, this is 
No. <laughs> I mean, I that would have put I me know. in the hella dovels. I know. I don't need, like I said, physical, like images of physical assault for women. I just, it's hard for me to deal with. I don't do well because I can't control how my empathy works there <laughs> and me getting into the doleful. So I would just rather not go down that dark road for my own mental health. But, um, and now the gin told me that <laughs> the gin talking to you. The, yes. The gin told okay. me that, uh, Cuddy from house would have made a great U S uh, uh, enlister if they were doing the show here in the States and using non-English actors and locations, non-English Actors just, and locations. You probably just pissed off 30 Brits. Non-English. This I, was my same argument about Colette. And I really enjoy Kira Nightingly. I'm just saying, girl. She was just in the newspaper talking about some. Oh, Judy Combs so lucky. I really wanted that role. I really. I mean, it's nice to also want Autistic that range. Jealousy. It, I, just, <laughs> I can't, I can't with you. Okay, I can't so, with you. If someone out there is a, a Kira Nightingly stand, just know. That Terrence is a bigger Jodie Comer stand, so that's what just happened. That there. that is maybe he what will happened. stand to the end of time that no one on that continent has the range of Jodie Comer, <laughs> except maybe Saran Jones and Sophie Rundle at this point. But Terrence is incredibly biased about his favorite British actress at this point, so that's okay. I know this about you. I love you anyway. It's fine. It's fine. Give me the skews. But she didn't. She like Colette. I well, well, you know, I'm not gonna talk shit. I'm just gonna say what I already said about Colette see like it could just happen again with other actors Colette yeah if someone made an Edith Piaf biopic with someone from South Carolina who wasn't the best at the accents which reminds me of some funny meme I saw I think it was on Twitter or something earlier today and I haven't seen this film but it's with was it Timothy Clamay is that how you say his name oh um hang on what's the name of the I don't know. Something about him being a king. I have not seen it. I don't have interest, actually. But evidently, he's playing a king with a British accent. I presume that's not his normal accent. And Rob Pattinson is playing a French person. Mm. And so the tweet was someone like pointing and laughing, saying this Timothy guy listening to British Rob's French accent. And it was like British Rob listening to his English accent. So evidently, both of them are sucking. So, Yikes. right. So whoever's doing the English is fucking up. Whoever's doing the French is fucking up. But, you know, they still have their fans. So there's that. There's that. So that's what I'm saying. Like, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Please. Because then we'll just flash back to Tom Cruise being a German without a German accent. And I don't think anyone deserves that. And he fucked up twice because he did that and The Last Samurai. And it was like, I was boy, about to bring up Last Samurai. Mm. Anyways. Where was I? Oh, right. Right. So the notes that we see for this scene, of course, are pretty goddamn cute. It says that Anne comes in to discover Catherine Rawson, which she wasn't expecting, but rather than finding her cold and distant, of course, we get, oh, Miss Lissa, because poor Catherine is stressed. It says that Anne taps very gently on Anne Walker's bedroom door, and of course, there's no answer, and that after she ventures to go inside, the note is that Anne Walker's fast asleep, exhausted, no doubt, by her sleepless nights, and goes and crouches beside her and looks at her cautiously, tenderly. In the show, we just get her sort of advance on the bed and it's like, should I reach? No, because of all the things you just told me. Right, like literally you, I'm still feeling the pain. Right. It's hurting me just being this near to you and not doing the touch. I just, why am I here? Oh, because I care. Right. <laughs> and the note for when Ann Walker wakes up and sees Ann is that she grabs her face in both hands and kisses her like she'll never let her go again. Oh. And that is the vibe. That is the that absolute is. vibe Sophie Rundle gave forth. And so here is the note about Ann Walker noticing Anne's face. 
I mean, this is the scene, so I know it's gonna appear. Like I'm And there's a bit of an omission here. So they have the dialogue as I thought you'd gone forever. She cries. I thought you'd given up on me. I thought I'd never see you again. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry about the things I said. And then in parentheses it says, realizing Anne's face is scarred, like in her nightmare. What happened to you? So that is Sally's direction of provocation to Ann Walker asking this question. It's like, girl, I just woke up from a dream where you didn't look your best. And now here you are not looking your best. What happened? It was the spirits. But I think that's, I mean, that's an authentic fear. Like, that's a triggering moment for Ann Walker, like we said in the recap. Or, you know, I mean, no, no. I fully agree with that's how it came across in the direction of the filming of the scene. But it can also be read as a... A double down on the dream where you thought you woke up mm, because mm-hmm. your love is waking you up. Where so sanity it, blends. It's with already fiction. right. It's already this. Is I can't believe you came to rescue me from right. these bad feelings that I. Or did you come to rescue me because your face still looks like this? And right, like who's fucking with you? Right, is people fucking with you? Like they're fucking with me? These spirits? And um, they have Ann Lister as replying nothing, but after smirking. The note says she smirks. It's not so serious. And then they have her delivering the line, I fell over, which we definitely do not hear. She does not say that. I don't remember. I fell over. I do not either. I've seen it countless times. I feel like I would definitely know if I'm wrong. Well, shit. Blame the gin. But I'm 99.9% sure that she does not say anything after that. I like that they omitted it because it's now, right now, it's a half lie. She's strong. She's good. So nothing, really. But if she would have been like, I fell over, that's a direct lie. Versus just like, I'm not telling you. Like, how she usually is. Right. Oh, I'm nothing. I'm fine. Everything's all good. I'm always fine. It's great. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't ask me. It's fine. Versus being like, I fell off a wall. And continuing that that lie that she started with her family. So, yeah, that was an interesting note for that scene. The next note comes from that adorable nap time scene. And it really just has to do, it just has to do with how Sally describes it. It's so cute. It's really, it's see, really very cute. See, that's like holiday greeting card cute. <laughs> it is. It really is. So the note says, as accordingly advances to yeah. deliver the note. No, really. <laughs> ma'am, ma'am, Miss Lista, ma'am. And then the note says, Aunt Anne wakes up with a picky snort, which wakes up Jeremy. And I'm like, a picky snort. But that's accurate because. But then, uh, but then also <laughs> the dog is growling. Too. Everybody, like, everybody upset. Everybody woke up. See, and this makes me think that this is something added after the fact with Argus, potentially after they cast that dog, because there's no direct note here that we can find that says Argus is also sleeping in this room right. and he's upset from his nap. They just decided to just throw Argus around. Oh, please <laughs> throw Argus in all the scenes. Throw Argus in all the scenes. Oh, I would wear an Argus beanie. I'm just saying. It doesn't even have to be perfect. <laughs> All right. Argus. Like, like it's Argus. Like- Shout out to Rodri the Scottish at Deerhound Rodri on Twitter. Um, because Argus is the cutest. I just love big, big, just like scrappy dogs. I can't help it. So, yeah, that was a thing. Thank you, production person, Sally, whoever maybe owns a dog, whoever suggested that, hey, dogs are bitchy too when you wake them up from their naps. They really are. Mine groans at me all the time when they have to move. And I'm just like, how are you this bitchy? And I know it's because they're old at this point, but it's to the point where it's like, what the fuck? It's like, are you ready? Let's go. And you hear. 
No, no. My Dalmatian does deep sighs. Like she, I'm not even going to get into it. Because people are like, Candace, you talking about your pal? But she does. She has an attitude problem. She has a jaunting problem. Does a deep sigh. And that's because all my girl animals are misandrous, which is probably why they're mine. We have kinship in that feeling. But that misandry comes out in way too much animal jaunt. So there's also a note not too long after that about James being made to feel at home at the kitchen. He, um, yeah, waiting, <laughs> waiting for the overnight bag. He's been given a, a cup of tea, a cuppa, and uh, a piece of fruit cake. Oh, I bet that fruit cake is um. <laughs> First of all, you guys, if you could see Terrence's gin face right now, that's what I'm gonna call it. <laughs> He's mm-hmm, over there in the corner. I I may be tapping out in like 12 minutes, oh but my I'm God. holding on oh for my dear God. life. You guys, this is real time recording. Did you hear when he went and got his <laughs> refill, and now this motherfucker talking about tapping out, bitch? I mean. All right, so <laughs> you have to untap out for this scene. This is a deleted know, scene. And this is one of those things that we see that's way too long. Wait, we got to delete a scene. Yeah, but this is one of those downstairs scenes with the servants type of thing. It extends what we were just talking about with James, with so, Eugene. Oh, uh, this is the written but not like canned. Got it. Okay. Or maybe shot, but just they were like, oh, fuck oh, it. Okay. And I All actually, right. I prefer, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Right now. So... Here we go. So <laughs> the usual suspects, if you don't already know, I'm expecting. Oh, yeah. Predictions. <laughs> I'm expecting a lot of mouth. A lot of mouth, a lot of mouth, a lot of mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And me wanting to attack someone. I see me wanting to attack someone. Spoiler alert, it's probably going to be Hemingway. But um, <laughs> I see Hemingway got too much to smoke attack. for Eugenie. That makes no sense when she should just go hop on John's knob. If, if that's, that's what all she, she wants. wants. No, Damn, I agree. We already know that it's, there's no obstacles for the hats. You just decide that's what you want. Go after it, girl. Damn. I feel like we said this like for we at say least it every three time. Episodes. Every time we say it. Every time we say it. So it's like, okay, after they have John coming in with vegetables and eggs. And so the last line we hear in the scene that made Just it to the final me. cut is Joel. <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds so like. That's what said. it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. So the last line we we hear in the scene from the way it is is accordingly being like, Thank you, John. That's lovely. And then we change stuff after he walks out. So that's that's not. That's not what happens. Apparently, in this version of the script, after she yells that after John, she turns to courting or she turns to Eugenie to say some shit in French, which means translated. There's some washing through there that you've not finished. She tried to bull rank and put that bitch to work. I says, you trying to get away? I'm trying to you get trying a to, husband. I'm just trying to say, why are you trying to stop another bitch O's? Right. Everyone deserves a good O. I mean, God, not only is it good for your health, your physical health, your mental health, your stress, how you be acting with other people. I, I don't understand these women. And if I had to think of anybody who was downstairs that needed a W. Oh my God, wait a minute. It the only person genius. smashing in Shibden is in Lister. Yep. That's the that's the T. Yep. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> hey, I like that. You mean consensual smashing? Yep. yep oh yep. my God, don't get, see, I already told you that I have something to say about Ann Lister and consent that I will say before we're done here, but ooh, you just brought it up. But yeah, mm-hmm. with consent, always with consent with Ann Lister. So as the scene continues, and she's like, basically like, Eugenie, get back to work, bitch. You got work to do. Eugenie is written as replying, I'll do it later, ho. <laughs> and accordingly replies, you'll do it now. Okay. You work for Miss Lista. And then it says that Eugenie's just like, oh. And then she makes a few more French noises as she heads through the scullery. And then they have Hemingway is saying, confidently, don't lower yourself, Mr. McKenzie. What? She just what said- are you saying, Sally? 
So do you want John? I'm so confused at this. Or do you want Mr. McKenzie? What do you, whomst do you want? Are you because, mean Hemingway? Right. Because if you want no one. She's trying to bubble block or like right. O block. Right, right, right. Just the hat version. Right, right. Like you don't, you don't get to be the person that just doesn't want to see people happy. Like you're some disgruntled, I don't know. Like, if you were Miss Priestley, I would understand this kind of energy, but you're not. You get, do you get how, like, you are, you work for this house, for this lady, the same way? You, you, I mean. Oh, my God. Sorry, I just forgot this one note, just before you finish your sentence. It says that John Booth sees Eugenie practically rubbing herself up against James and decides not to linger. So they're implying that we don't see that in the scene. She just looks like she's flirting and being Oh, she's into letting him, him go near queer? Right. She was on the, she was like, Ann, uh, sit on your knee. Can I rub? <laughs> what? Now. So you mean to tell me Eugenie's an exhibitionist? That she's out here trying to catch a O so, on John, on a, what is it? James uh, knee in front of everybody? So this is why Cordelia was like, oh, there's some washing that you haven't got done. She's like, she's like bitch, go I'm, wash, uh, go wash your petticoats <laughs> right now. How about that? How about that, bitch? And Lister has standards. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, so yes, did you finish what you were saying before? Before I interrupted you to be like, oh my God, they said Eugenie was rubbing on James. Uh, <laughs> yes. Ultimately, I just was trying to get out that, uh, go for yours. Go anyway, like, what do you want? Do you want James? Do you want John? Who do you want? And then when you figure out who, who you want, do you love? right? Then go get sure? who you want. Stop just trying to Agreed. make someone else Agreed. feel terrible. Agreed. And so I was saying, out of all the ladies who li- who work, I was about to say under the house, but it's not that type of show. Um, <laughs> out of all the ladies who deserves to uh, to be able to smile for at least one episode, it would be the one that just you know lost the baby i'm saying can we she get a little motherfucking sympathy episode? and empathy from motherfucking eugenie can she be happy can she live can she have a decent life i'm just saying if we're gonna have these characters on the side on a periphery, i'm rooting for eugenie if i can just say that now i know historically and factually that eugenie Anne's lady's maid leaves her service in shame but we will get there terence we won't get there today but i'm just gonna leave you with that little tidbit of Eugenie in shame. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like she entered onto the scene with the most qualifications. At best we're doing, at least right now, what these people are doing, it's slut shaming. Like there's no other way to go about it. Because if you're trying to say that there's something wrong with her being pregnant from a guy who was dead and then another nice guy who was like, she's pretty. I can deal with her. I'll marry her. But then she loses the baby. So she doesn't want to marry the dude. She doesn't know, but you're mad that she's flirting. With another dude, like, that's slut-shamey. A little too slut-shamey for me. I agree. I don't like it. But I guess on brand for the times, since everybody was out here slut-shaming, including Ann Lista, man keen. <laughs> well, so that is done. And you know what else? The scene continues on. Like it did last time where John goes out and they give John more fucking lines. And I guess if you're the actor who plays John, you're maybe like, oh, wow, I had this many minutes in the show. And then <laughs> when it got to HBO, I had less. Right. <laughs> so they have... um the note saying a disgruntled John just heading off out of the yard as Mr. Pickles is wandering into it. And uh, I almost want to have you read this in your in your your Thomas oh, accent oh. as Mr. Pickles. I'll be John Booth. You'll be Pickles and do your best to read what this says. And you know what? Um, if it's not entirely intelligible to the listening audience, uh, we apologize in advance and also blame the gym. OK, so John Booth says. 
to Pickles, who's presumably looking for Ann Lister. She's not in. If you're looking for the boss, I saw her going over to Lightcliff earlier. It says that Pickles groans and mumbles something that might sound a little bit like, oh, fuck, that bad? And then the note says, where to start? And as Pickles speaks, we're forced to wonder, is he drunk? That means this is perfectly on brand for you. Pickles is there. First uh, paragraph. Ahem. <laughs> There's this gully. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I need to be able to hear what you're saying, so let me try to control myself. <laughs> There's this gully. Right. <laughs> this gap along the carriage road. Happen eight yards long, 12 yards deep. So to marry everyone and then with the other, I need to build it up from underneath, right? With the earth and a bit of stone, it looked right enough, solid, safe. The book rolled along top. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, and then you say right. <laughs> so after you say right, I'm oh, going to... Oh, I say right? That's the only thing you say. Right. Right. <laughs> but she doesn't want that, does she? No. She goes... Are you familiar, Mr. Pickles, with the pass in Switzerland? So I'm going, no, that's a pleasure I've not had, your majesty. So she shows me a picture. She shows this drawing. (laughs) Oh, my God. Which is right enough. I can do a notch. It's just more work and a long to finish the job, but... Better unknown it's worth and blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. She goes, yes, Mr. Pickles. But it is elegant. <laughs> oh, and your line is? What's my line? Uh, you can't argue with that. Well, you can't argue with that. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like that little hook down yonder. <laughs> and the silence all over again. It's like, <laughs> what's it for? Holy shit. Is oh, that there's, there's, no, there's more lines. So there's I just lines. have to. Oh, ooh. Ooh. where did you stop at? What's it for? Uh. Yeah, so, um, well, anyway, she isn't in somewhere over there. Where is it? Where? Well, anyway, she isn't in. I, I could be wrong. What does that say there? Well, anyway. Oh, did you turn the no, page? No, yeah, I did. Okay. <clears throat> oh, oh, I see. <laughs> I don't even know the content of what you said because I was too busy laughing. What's at... it for? <laughs> I feel like that was the So last John time. says, yeah, you do say that. And John Booth says, well, anyway, she isn't in. I just do it, Mr. Pickles. You will, in the end, you know, what she's like. Look, you get your flask. You can use your actual drink so, as a prop. So Booth, angry off of being dubbed by Eugenie. Right, Booth has still got an attitude Pickles problem. Pickles to go and mess with the stones. <laughs> Nobody touch that list of stones. That's a t-shirt. Yes. Oh, let's see. Oh, grab some. Oh, John offers his flask to John. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right. And if she's not in, she's not in. <laughs> Yo, I'm... Motherfuckers, listeners, friends, we done. We done with Terrence's um, thing, and we'll end it with what I feel like. I feel this authentic energy from John Booth. You're not in a state of inebriation, are you, Mr. Pickles? <laughs> and I'm going to do my best Terrence impersonation. <laughs> no, well, up in a fraction. <laughs> Wait, what? Start again, Candace. No, well, up in a fraction. You need a bit of Dutch courage coming knocking on the door here. <laughs> if somebody's ruffled her feathers, she's enough to flay the devil. And it says parentheses, John wouldn't normally, but feeling bruised after seeing Eugenie all over James, he looks he around too, then takes a drink. swig. Wow. Wow. Toxic wow. And Pickles finishes with, I'll let you say it. He says, when's the big day? Are we all invited? 
Oh, he doesn't know. Sorry. Well, when's the big day? <laughs> Are we all invited? Terrence is back playing pickles. And the note says that John didn't know anyone outside the immediate household knew. Just then, James emerges from the back door and heads off with Anne's bag. John conceals the flask. James McKenzie says, afternoon. And John and Pickles at the same time, afternoon. <laughs> We're drunk. And then when James is out of earshot, it says that John Booth has a big whisper saying, how did you know about that? And Pickles is like, I don't know. Why? <laughs> and John says, it isn't happening. It's all off. Does everybody know? And Pickles is basically like, I don't know, with a shrug and asks what went wrong. And John Booth is just like, oh. And is dismissive of it because he doesn't want to talk about it. And he takes another swig of the goddamn flask and says, that's a good drop. You'll have to pop in and try my pot. Mm. See, I read parsnip. I need to go back so I can read that properly. That's a good drop. You'll have to pop in and try my parsnip. <laughs> Sorry. I can't get through it. My parsnip and potato wine. <laughs> that definitely My parsnip and potato wine sometimes. Sounds jaunty. So John is out here with a home brewery. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so you guys, I don't know what to make of this. I, I don't know what this is going to sound like. Booth just told Mr. Pickles to dig up Ann Lister Stones since she wasn't in. That's true. He was like, you know, she's going to want you to do it anyway. So, and Pickles was just complaining about Ann Lister being bossy. But I'm saying, don't she run shipped in? I mean, isn't that what bosses do, boss? I'm just trying to understand. Lord, well, I hope you enjoyed that theatrical reading by Terrence Nye, but mostly Terrence. Indigen. I'm glad I didn't see this scene. Me too. I would have been, been pissed off. I would have been pissed off. I would have like, been annoyed. I need the man of the house. Well, she isn't in. Well, you're a man. What do you think I should do? Right, oh, just right, right, that right. She doesn't right, want you to do. Right, Fair right. enough. Shall we drink on it? Let's drink Ugh. on it. Lord, you are totally right there. All right. So now we're back to our ends and the scene where Anne and Anne wake up in bed together. And I love the note that Sally puts in there, which is Anne and Anne in bed. The wind whips around the house outside. And Walker is wrapped in Ann Lister's arms, both of them asleep. Oh, that's what we saw. Although quicker than maybe what the script would imply. It says, we slowly and creepily approach the grandfather clock on the dark landing. And as we do so, the mechanism starts winding itself up to start the whole process of sounding the hour. And Walker is awoken by the clock mechanism, quite as it is, and through a closed bedroom door. Something about it always triggers her to wake up. And then suddenly she's wide awake, anticipating trouble. And then the first of three strikes sounds, and this seems to be what spooks Ann Walker. So a little bit more attention paid on the clock, the sounds, and how that specific thing, and fixating on things, this is this is what can happen, which is why I can see why some people were like she has a, or she was displaying some obsessive compulsive behavior with how she was trying to deal with her anguish and despair. Right, and then, you know, the Foley team decided to, kick that oh they're like kick it up a notch yeah it went into script note but they're like we should make sure that everyone can hear this there is a note about n lister being frustrated about the keyhole comment and i'm just like but that was so adorable like that's the kind of thing that even if it's a really serious situation it's really dire that i would have started laughing just just shout at them through the keyhole and there's nobody there he's like you sure bitch because you can't see them so obviously they're ghosts obviously you can't see them Anne. So the note is, so they have Ann Walker first saying, in the clock. And Ann Lister jumping out of the bed and taking the candle. She's like, don't go out there. They'll do something to you. Just shout through the keyhole. <laughs> and it's like frustrated by the absurdity of it. Anne pulls the door open and goes into the corridor. So I don't know that we saw that she was frustrated. I don't think Saran necessarily played it in a frustrating way. It seemed more like a kind of confused way. 
I was confused, but we didn't see Saran's face as much as they no, gave that's us true. more that's true. of uh, of Anne Walker. Just they could have cut a lot her, out. Right, right. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Sophie, you did a good job of with the hysterics. I, I Oh, she did. I I mean, like I said last episode, she just so impressive. I was not I was not aware of Sophie Rundle existing in life prior to the show, and I'm just so happy. I can do my pilgrimage eventually because I'm too busy right now. But just to be like, what else is Sophie in besides Peaky Blinders, which I'm aware of? And I think she was in that. Oh, this could be wrong, but we'll see. I think she was in Bodyguard. I feel like she was playing a het wife over there. But honestly, I don't know. Don't quote me on it. I could be wrong. If it's another Brit who looks like her, I'm sorry. (sighs) Okay. So there is a slight note on the cuddle cocoon, as we dubbed it, between Anne and Anne and Catherine. It just says that Anne Lister uh, puts her arm around her and embraces her reassuringly as Catherine does something similar on her other side. Anne clings to Anne, Anne Walker clings to Anne Lister, but it doesn't bother Catherine or make her think there's anything wrong with it. It's simply two friends comforting someone in distress. Right. It's like she's trying to swaddle her friend. How is it not that? Right. Like, how is it not that? Deserve a swaddling, especially when they're reciting the Lord's Prayer. In an infinite loop. It's like I said, if, if Ann Walker would have had her cuddle buddy or a cuddle buddy her whole life, then maybe the ending to her life would not be as upsetting to me as it is. But I don't want to go there yet because I have more happy feels that I can get through before I end up in my sad feels when it comes to real life Ann Walker and what she definitely did not deserve. Anyways. Dolefuls. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm back in the dolefuls. You can see it. I'm like, mm, I'm getting upset. Okay. Well, let's go to the morning after. And the only real note that I'll mention there is that Sally writes that. Not that, but when she's talking to Catherine. And they just have it that it's a tricky explanation that Ann Liss is trying to do, but completely genuine, which I think we get the idea. I love that she was able to uh, sow her confidence. Right, right. Because she's facing a big unknown. And, you know. She's looking for a sturdy pillar in this chaos. And, <laughs> I'm sorry, and a sturdy pillar. Your glasses. I the just look at your empty gin glass. The gin has got me. <laughs> I've got, I'm sorry. I've got a good 15 minutes. And oh, then I, no. I'm, I'm, uh, it's not even 4 a.m. Oh, I, my God. Look, what? I know. With the gym. I can't do it. Friends, listeners, Lord, send hate mail to Terrence, please. Do it now. Jaunty hate mail. Uh, maybe not hate mail, but just like, you know, strongly worded. What the fuck, Terrence? I mean, we everyone knew this was going to be a two-parter anyway. <laughs> this is a loaded, loaded episode. I feel like we're not even halfway in. Technically, maybe we are just halfway in. I don't know. Because we're at the letter, maybe like a third. We're like at the letter from uh, Sutherland. And the only note I have for that is Sally Shade about how their house isn't as cool as Cronest. Because she's sort of like at Udell House, a well-proportioned house, not as grand and elegant as Cronest, but clearly the house of well-heeled people. (laughs) It's got kids' germs everywhere. That as well. There were some interesting notes about her sister basically breastfeeding and being stressed the fuck out. She looked it. I mean, no, she looked it. The one kid was passed out. He was sick and passed out. So he probably probably screened himself to sleep. More than likely. And she had to deal with that. Yeah. I feel like there's tricks to get babies to not scream too much. Oh, 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 well, we know these things. I'm a big sister, so I know these things. So one one rhymes with win. You know, just give the baby some win and... (laughs) I can't can't with you! (laughs) Uh, All right, so the note says, 
uh, where we find Elizabeth <sighs> Sutherland, Ann Walker's elder sister by two years, breastfeeding a newborn infant whilst a toddler, a girl, plays on the floor with a wooden puzzle. On a sofa by the window, Sackville Sutherland, perhaps four or five years old, is drowsy and wrapped in a blanket. He has measles. Elizabeth has shadows under her eyes, a woman who's given birth too many times and whose brain is scrambled from spending every waking hour with toddlers. Someone rescue Elizabeth, please. Immediately, because as you can see, they try to tell you that your purpose in life is to bear children. Bear but children. Yet- Complete they your scramble purpose. your brain. No, that so, was dudes. They were like, something that you so really you want? mean to tell me you're not fulfilled now that you've had my baby? What's wrong with you? It's hysteria. Let's send her to the um, asylum because there's no hope for her. She had a child and she married me and she's still upset. She's still depressed. So she's broken. That's how I describe 19th century medicine. Oh, I believe it. So moving on from the Sutherlands. Oh, I guess before I move on from the Sutherlands, they basically also, Sally also makes a note that basically Elizabeth has goodwill to wanting to take care of her sister, but she also doesn't want to deal with her sister at this time because she's dealing with a lot. lot. Right, exactly. But then she also says, you know, she's fond of Ann Lister and she seems to be doing better Right. With her. With someone who cares and dare I say, the person who cares the most and actively by their actions, not just their words, are showing that they care about her getting better. And here comes the husband. What are you going to believe? Me or the words of your crazy sister? Let me go and rescue her. (laughs) And what's interesting is that, that there's a bit of a flip ish kind of to that when Ann Lister was writing to Captain Sutherland about Ann Walker's mental health issues but yeah so that happens and from there we leave the Sutherlands and we're on to the baby hats making out and again we don't give a fuck so moving right along moving right along yeah I didn't need any of whatever that scene was no 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 no, no. it wasn't even entertaining so I feel like this is actually a deleted a deleted scene because Mm, maybe not deleted scene if I had to guess that they shot it and just cut it out because this has to do with the morning after and you know how we when we get to that scene we do not see Ann Lister asleep we just see her fully dressed and looking at Ann Walker and Catherine and then she wakes her up and is like I have to go in the script it has it starting out as in the morning all three of them Ann Lister Ann Walker and Catherine Rawson are asleep in or on the bed as though Catherine and Ann just dropped off during their vigil presumably before or after Ann did too and by Catherine and Ann I mean Ann and Lister right and then it says Ann Lister wakes up she gathers her thoughts and looks around she sees Ann Walker and Catherine both deep asleep touching sad this is a real dilemma for Anne. Living life to the full is her ethos. She doesn't faff around looking after invalids. And yet here she is doing exactly that. Then that we... was a note. And that wasn't like an actual thought, right? Because that was a I note. Right. Like that was I know. We saw invalid. We saw invalid. It's upsetting. It triggers us. No, I. Yeah, it's a note. Okay. It's not something Ann Lister says. Okay. And so it's Sally, I guess, putting Saran into Sally, it. I love you. I do. Don't use invalid! I'm just saying. God! Um, but yeah, we don't like that word for Ann Walker. That's, that's my trigger word. It's invalid here and it's psychopath there. Don't use the word. Just just don't use oh, it. Oh yeah, don't do that. And then it finishes. We cut to 20 minutes later when Ann is dressed, gently rousing Ann Walker and Catherine Ross still asleep. So that's, they just, they cut it out and who knows, pacing, how it looked, who knows. So I think they probably shot that, but just, we were, we're not ever going to see it. I mean, but. That's cool. The hope is that it would read appropriately and not just, right, you know, right. Ann Lister putting someone to sleep and out for the count and her going, well, time to jump for the rest of my... (laughs) Time to do my man's work. (laughs) Right. Take care of my business. Oh, I do like this note about Ann Walker and what she is exuding when Ann Lister wakes her up. 
So Anne's right. like, I got to go. And the note is, Anne Walker wakes up and sees Anne. The love and delight and devotion in her eyes is immediate. That was there. It is! Love, it was, delight, devotion. It was LDD. not fear. It was Mm-mm. not drowning. It wasn't quicksand. It wasn't despair. If you despair. leave me now, right. you take, take away a special part of me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. don't baby please don't, don't go. go like there was no despair like imagine being someone who was immersed with night terrors being able to wake up and um, understand mm. that the terror is over her and it wasn't like oh I'll do whatever you want i'll just i mean whatever it takes like i just don't want to feel this feeling anymore it was just this is where i am now i'm not in the terrors i'm right. the dolefuls are gone right I, I'm this is I'm in, I'm at peace it was, and that's when you're when you're being haunted in your subconscious and your psyche that shit is rough <laughs> like when you can't escape at all and sleep is supposed to be an escape theoretically agreed. you go to sleep and you're just away from life doing stuff and Ann Walker can't escape to her dreams or to life and it's literally just Ann Lister that's her escape and I'm just like God 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 <sighs> so there is a note in the script for you that says when Ann Lister is walking home, it's basically been three weeks. Okay, so this is good. It was one business week at like the first. So then two more weeks scenes. since you were there talking right. about that. Now we're almost to a full month, which does make sense because it seems as though she is trying to indicate a larger passing of time before Ann Walker goes off, which is more accurate. To the well, diaries. we we saw the note reach her sister. And it, we're saying that now we're at the month's period where we will ultimately get a response from said note. Right. So it just has for this scene of like, wait, come back. You know, and we have that beautiful soliloquy of like, oh, without any longer having either my esteem or affection, she still, whenever I see the girl, she always manages to unhinge me or something like unhinge that. Unhinge me, yes, which yeah. is direct diary inspiration. And also, parentheses, the action is despite herself, she becomes emotional. And it's like, yeah, because she's a whole ass liar okay. here. Like, you can't say that no one has your affection or esteem as you give affection and esteem. That's what you tell yourself when you're trying to lie to yourself about what it is you're doing and how, I won't say helpless, but captive you are to a person's needs. That's a good word. It also has a note that she has tears in her eyes as she looks at Ann Walker and says, of course. (sighs) Dofuls, dofuls, dofuls. Dofuls, dofuls, dofuls. So I did like the note that follows after with the scene with Marion when she informs and that, well, you know, Mr. Washington was here and shit is fucking going down. The note I like is, yeah, at the end where it's like, and straight out of there. She's incensed. Nobody touches her stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So that's it. She jaunts off. She leaves Marion there and she is going to go handle shit. Now, what I thought was interesting is that we definitely heard Hinscliffe make that insult about a daddy jack. Or whatever, when she gets to the it's hill. It's not in the notes. It's not in the script. So they probably added that live or just were like, hey, let's try this. Let's see how this works. Nothing of note is said really with her lawyer, except that basically he's stressed. And then we have what I believe is a deleted line with Captain Lister. And it's basically after their second conversation about the dirty coal business. After she is back at shipped in from meeting with her lawyer. Oh, is it um, revolving around him suggesting that they reopen... Uh, right when he's like well we could reopen Listerwick and do all this other stuff and then he of course is like you know she explains that everything's going down and he's like and Miss Walker definitely isn't and she shakes her head I'm pretty sure the scene ends right there where he's like so Miss Walker and she's like it's off 
And so the action that continues in the script is, it says, Anne shakes her head and perhaps tears well up in her eyes as she's reminded of how strangely wrong her relationship with Anne has turned. Jeremy is sickened on Anne's behalf and angry too. This man had his daughter beaten up, but what can he do? He's an infirm old man. Jeremy Lister continued and says, he needs to be horsewhipped and I'd do it. At one time, I'd have done it. I'm like, Jeremy! I have been why saying all season. I would like to not, see it. Yeah, where's well, why did I? Why don't I have that line? Jeremy, that's the best thing you've ever said me, about what you could you do for your daughter. Me, horse whip a bitch. You show me the apple tree, Jeremy, in that line. Because when they found out that there was a hit and run, and that um one of the hard castles lost their leg. Okay. And Lister was seen in front of Parliament <laughs> and said. <laughs> I'd horsewhip him if I could. I mean, come on. She got that. that Her dad energy, is a right. captain. Yes. All right. This bitch was at the tea party. He old as fuck right now. He's like, bitch, I'm tired. But I wish this was in because it just would have given me a hint at that like genetic jaunt that maybe got into endless a little bit. That's like, I should horsewhip him. In fact, I would have if I was a little bit. She's sprightly. like, this isn't 200 years ago when they just threw produce at people. <laughs> like uh, horsewhipping. That's, that's where we at. That's where we're That's at. where we are. This is the type of violence that is regularly doled out in British society at this time. And I'm just saying, if this is what people are doing, then if anyone deserves to be horsewhipped on his damn show, it is fucking Christopher Rawson. My God. I agree. And, and Ainsworth. Oh, Lord. And the bloke, actually. Three dudes. Three dudes that for sure can be horsewhipped. All right. So this is where we go to a month because there's a note in the script that Sally puts and basically says the next run of scenes, six to be specific, are intended to show the passage of time, like a week. So it starts around the time that Abbott's mom is there for tea till about where we go for the end there. And really, there's nothing to say about Abbott at tea, except Marion is proverbially on his jock once more. And she makes a note that the mom, too, that the mom is like Marion, that they're both just so agreeable and happy and thrilled that Abbott exists and is in their lives. And I'm just like, I don't know why, but I get that because they're wearing matching plaid. Like, it wasn't matching in the color scheme, but they both had on plaid. And I maybe right. he's into plaid. Maybe that's his favorite print. Maybe he likes Burberry. I don't know. But that's all I have to say about that scene. Do we think Abbott is a mama's boy, given uh, how his mom was carrying on? No. I'm <laughs> gonna say no. Um, she's carrying on, like, she doesn't want to ruin anything ultimately. And if she can professionally be that quiet, that's sort of the looking glass for Marion to mm, see mm-hmm. what her future is expected to be like when oh, they're God. at social gatherings outside of Shibden Hall, where they she will be forced to not have an opinion or to right. just be agreeable, but to the extent of smiling and nodding and not oh. speaking. Seen and not heard as she is, I guess, a prize because the real prize is him getting a honorary title since he wasn't right, it's not her. a man and of means. I understand that marriage, especially among the heads at this time, is often uninspired and nothing romantic or even close. I mean, Anne went on and on and on about, are you of the romantic mind like me? But this is, I mean, it's just... It's, it's hard it's to hard. watch. It's hard to watch because Marion is so desperate for someone to care about her and love her. And that's what she deserves. She deserves that. Any other time at this table, Maria has a lot to say, especially, you know. She's opinionated. Yes. Which, oh my God, that's an excellent point. If she doesn't have any opinions around Abbott, uh, fuck that man entirely, completely. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we already had the energy, but you just said another thing that makes it 100%, 600% what has to happen. Oh, and you know what else was in the in the script notes? What you had said about a place being set for Anne Lister and that she just wasn't there because they don't say like in dialogue we can hear, oh, 
Abbott and his mom are coming over this day. But I think it's like what we were saying before, that it's implied that Marion would have said something in some way. And Anna was just like, I don't give a fuck. No. Right. <laughs> no. So, well, oh well. And then guess on some bullshit. We got another deleted servant scene because, and I, I'm assuming that they shot all this shit and they were looking in the room and they were like, nah, 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 it's too much. It's too much servants. Right. It's too much. Let's dial it back. This is getting a little too doubt nabby. We gotta need to, uh... <laughs> So, yeah. So this, <laughs> this deleted servant scene is between Mr. Pickles and John again. And, oh, Dick, I guess that's Pickles' name. It says, Thomas, Soudan, and Dick are busy laying the first few layers of stone of what will become the bridge that resembles the Simplon Pass. And whilst it is a mini version of the Simplon Pass, it's still very impressive. The proposed structure is marked out professionally in taut string, so the verticals and horizontals are all correct. No sign of Mr. Pickles as the two lads hoik the heavy stones carefully into precise position. We discover bad-tempered, lonely, and Lister, some distance away, checking with her own plumb line, brass weight, that all the verticals are in correct. Maybe she has her own spirit level too to check the horizontals and any other relevant mathematical instruments. Oh, wait a minute. I wonder if this is supposed to be... That note seems like the note from when she appeared and told everyone to... Oh, no. This is the... I think this is the following day. This is... This seems... I was trying to figure out if this was theoretically happening and they cut it at the same time that Marion was having her thing, but it looks like it's the following day. Okay. But this is actually... I assume Sally was trying to put this in because in this time period, it's relevant, of course, that Ann Lister is always working on some project to do a Shipton and shabby little Shipton, making it less shabby. And this was something that was one of those pieces of architecture that she saw on her early travels when she was traveling around the continent and is trying to bring some of that worldly culture back to Shipton. And because she doesn't trust the men, she's like, uh, is this straight? Is this where it's supposed to be? Give me the tools. Give me the tools. I know you said exactly. it was pickles, but I don't know. I don't know. Excuse me. And so evidently Pickles and John are back in the cellar sampling John's homebrewed wine, I guess. Oh, the potato. Whatever. In a merry mood. Yes, yes. And it's apparently potent. Okay, John, you doing something? Pickles is impressed and they both find the taste delightful and amusing. And Pickles says, well, shut. Well, rid. I, why is that Southern? That's not right. Uh, just you do it. I, I, I'm I just, going to I Southern and play. that doesn't make sense. Right. Um, <laughs> so you do it. Well, Last line. At, Last ooh. line. Under Pickles. Well, shucks. <laughs> well, read. They're not what trouble mine is. <laughs> Thank you, good sir. Oh, your line continues. continues. Your line continues. Mine is. <laughs> I envy you. Don't get nagged of your thoughts and <laughs> do this, do that. I often say to her, who's in charge? She'll go, oh, I know you think you are. <laughs> Oh my God, I have almost choked six times during this recording on the gin because I'm laughing too hard. And the note says, John is amused, red-cheeked, well-pissed. That is us right now, amused, red-cheeked, well-pissed. Yes. Because we have been drinking the booze. And then we have scene 58 omitted. If that was more servant shit like the Eugenie part, good. And 59 also omitted, great. So we're actually creeping around to the end of the fucking episode, man, because Sutherland and Elm are going to be showing up soon. Uh, I suppose the only interesting note of this initial letter exchange between Captain Sutherland and Ann Lister is just that they make a note to say that she was probably mid-flow of writing in her diary when this letter arrived. And I don't know, what do you think of this script note by Sally? It says, after, you know, we have the piece of Captain Sutherland writing to say, oh, my wife is writing separately to her sister. It says, Ann Lister would have liked to take Ann to York and keep control of her her affections, and potentially her wealth. And I'm like, hmm. Again, 
sadly, this is this is number two. Well, see, okay, so there's okay, so <laughs> here's the interesting thing, and I think later, not I think, but I'm sure later in the podcast as we you know, sort of close the official thing of like the first season. And then we revisit some themes and ideas and potential things that could happen in season two. That one thing that I'm curious about talking about more, as we often say quickly that gender is a construct, but because people exist within society, you can't help but fall prey to certain things within these constructs. And I came across a very, so there's a number of people who have written things about Ann Lister in an educational context, like a thesis paper. And there's one thesis paper in particular that deals with gender and sexuality as it relates to Ann Lister and her relationship to Ann Walker. It was written in 1995, and it was a thesis paper entitled Moving Between Worlds, Gender, Class, Politics, Sexuality, and Women's Networks in the Diaries of Ann Lister of Shibden Hall, Halifax, Yorkshire. Really long title, but a great read. A lot of these things are reads, and we can link them um, if you guys are interested in reading them, if you haven't come across them. But in in those things she tries to talk about is this idea of gender roles and perceived gender roles. And because Ann Lister was more masculine aligned in terms of how she saw herself and how she moved within society, then she would subscribe to ideas of how she should relate to her partner. Yeah, okay. And part of that is an idea of, I don't know if I want to say control, but a certain type of submissiveness. Because certainly men have a lot to say about submitting, submitting to the rule of law. And so I'm not going to suggest that Ann Lister was as bombastic as some of these men are, but I do think it is likely that she, because of, of how her personality was, that she felt like of the two, who's going to be the steadfast, the logical, the this, that it's her that's going to be like, I should have the final say, right? Like, I have more information about this. I should deal with the finances. And so I don't know. There's who knows what Sally is meaning by that exactly. But I was curious about your thoughts about her putting that note there. It sounds like she wants people to under... Well, not that she knows people are going to be reading these scripts. But sounds like she wants to put people on on the track of mindsets that would say that an analyster type would like again to be holding on to the money instead of holding on to and walk <laughs> and i mean i don't want the feel emphasis like, it doesn't feel like sally thinks that but she does make that statement so it's it's, it's interesting it's yeah. interesting all the same it's like i've read your works all of you all of the books that were written i've read them all so it's like a i don't know a baby it's interesting nod. it's interesting because I would even argue that Ann Lister cannot control Ann Walker's emotions. Isn't that part of the problem? <laughs> that you actually <laughs> yes. can't. That you wish you could. And you're trying to do it with all sorts of logical ways and illogical ways. But it's not working because, well, you can't just control a mental health issue. You can't just okay. say, well, this is what we're doing. And so now it's fixed. And given how decisive she was as a person, that had to be part of what perturbed her about the Ann Walker situation, is that she's used to being so decisive and just having things go this way or that way. And there was no set course of a road to take with Ann Walker that would say, we are absolutely leading to this eventual end. So that was a little interesting note. It was. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, it's just, I, yeah, just wanted to mention it. I mean, essentially, I guess I thought that this part of the script resembled more so the Ann Lister of the Diaries. Because in her diaries, she expresses a number of times that like, oh, I just want this to be over. Like, I just want this to be done. Like, I want to escape. I I can't deal with this, etc. And so this feels like Sally channeling more of diary Ann Lister versus maybe the exact version of Ann Lister we actually get in the show. Next up, 
are the notes on Ann Walker asking who Ann Lister's going to travel with. (laughs) (sighs) The way her face narrowed. Just have some courage, Ann. I didn't mean like that. I didn't mean in that way. Not that kind of courage. (laughs) Ask me who I'm traveling with. You're going alone. No. No, she just wrote to Mariana. So, um... (laughs) In the note, it basically says that Ann Lister is reluctant to admit that she intends to go alone just because it's not the done thing. But her silence freaks Ann Walker out, who fears she'll lose her to someone else. Is that not a realistic fear for Ann Walker? It is the fear she's had this entire time. She had it in episode two. I mean, the best thing she could do is say what is the truth is that she will be traveling alone and just Mm -hmm. with her new groom and Eugenie, likely. I mean, but what she's omitting, what she's allowed to omit if uh, she feels like what was in the past is the past, is that, you know, someone may be meeting her there. Right. Then we also get notes for the ring scene, which is oh so lovely. The notes are for when she op- she brings the ring out of her pocket. She's down on one knee. It's a properly romantic moment. Despite all she knows about Anne's illness, here she is proposing again. She shows her the ring. And after she says the part about, will you accept it? Will you accept me? Etc. They have Anne Walker hesitates. She reaches out to touch the ring and then daren't. Eventually, her eyes fill with tears and she cries, inconsolably. Her terrible dilemma remains when it comes to the crunch. The tears well up in Ann Lister's eyes, too. So near and yet so far. Again. It cripples her. She feels as crippled by it as Ann Walker clearly does. So I think that was the body energy Saran Jones was was communicating when she just kind of fell into a pile of herself. And also Ann Walker was in a pile into herself. Just like, I can't move. Can't do anything. Right. Yeah. Just feeling it. Just letting it all hit me right now. So after this, because Sally likes to torture me, we are back to scenes with Mariana. And of course, it's not coincidental that after Anne is shut down and rejected again, in a sense, from Ann Walker, that she's back to thinking about Mariana and being like, oh, what's up with what's up with Mariana Lawton? This is the note they have for that scene. We see Mariana Lawton reading the letter as it continues because they've started over where she's like, my dearest Mary, after I've taken Thomas Beach and Eugenie, etc. When they introduce Anne in this scene and she's writing to Mariana post to this horrible rejection from Anne Walker, it says, Anne Lister's in her office writing. She has a bad cold. Her nose is red. It's so cold she's wearing her great coat, her plaid cloak over her knees, and she's keeping her hands warm with a lit candle and a fire in the grate. She's had to stuff newspaper into one of the little diamond shapes of the window where the glass has fallen out and where the wind whistles through. So Wait, that's, what? The sh- that's the ship did. Anne is cold. No, she is no. sick. There's newspaper in a hole in a window. Now, here's how, they, here's how they introduce Mariana. We see Mariana Lawton reading the letter as it continues. Mariana, in contrast to Anne, is sitting in front of a roaring great fire in an elegant room with a couple of floppy little spaniels to keep her warm. Fat elderly Charles Lawton is having a postprenatal snore dribble on a... S- snore dribble? No! Lord, on a separate sofa. Mm, and so God. after that, they have Anne Lister getting to the point of like, you know, if you could come to London, if Charles could spare you, it'd be great to see you. And you know what they have for the note for Mariana? Mariana is, of course, intrigued. Uh, I know no. she's intrigued. Caught. <sighs> so what do you think about that comparison? What do you think Sally's intent, if any, could have been with juxtaposing that? I mean, is it just to be like Anne is in Dolphals and so... In this actual environment, we can say that it's fully the Dolphals because she's sick and it's cold and it's shabby and it's everything she hates. And here's Mariana in her perfect het oasis of, I don't know, pretty little things and China and Spaniels. I feel like it's ultimately about just needing to feel restored, refreshed, re- restored in Mariana's 
in between Mariana's thighs? Is that well, what you mean? Uh, re- restored in thighs. <laughs> and then, you know. You're like, any thighs. Mariana's right. are the closest, the easiest. The... Right. She's t- a bit touch starved after being around someone who's been so thirsty. So it's like. Oh, my God. Well, who That's has true. similarly thirst like energy? Nobody. Nobody, baby. That's true. The answer, the real answer is no. Ain't nobody got thirst like Anne Walker in the whole of Halifax. In fact, I'll go even further to say in the whole of the whole damn continent, all of Europe, it's her. She is the top. Well, okay, so I wasn't sure. I mean, there's all kinds of parallels you can make visually, emotionally for where Anne Lister is and where Mariana is and how this juxtaposition of where they live is suddenly more relevant in this situation. Perhaps because Ann Lister is also in this money pinch and she just can't get herself out of it. And that's not something Mariana can relate to, even though Mariana has no inheritance, really, that she's aware of and that's what stresses her out. So, oh God. Yeah, so there's another deleted scene with the fucking Scotland motherfuckers. And I... Why did they shoot so much of the help this episode? Like you said, maybe it's the Downton Abbey thing. I'm not super into that show, but I would assume that if you're telling stories about British culture and the aristocracy, like this is this is the continuing vein up until, what, the Industrial Revolution? <laughs> that you're basically just sort of like, hey man, these are the haves, these are the have-nots! So this is what they do, and this is what the poor, potentially illiterate people do. So maybe that's what it was. I, I don't know. But if we ever get to ask Sally a question or she ever does a panel or a thing or a thing, again, where they talk about the show, that's on the list of things to ask. Okay, so of the notes of this, uh, of this deleted scene, it says, we cut to inside the carriage, which is Captain Sutherland's carriage, and we find him and his mother, Mrs. Sutherland, a stout, handsome 60-year-old Scottish woman. Mrs. Sutherland sees elegant crow nest. Oh, Oh, yes. Okay, here we go. I just remembered what it was. It says, Mrs. Sutherland sees elegant crow nest for the first time. She looks at her son with approval. It's impressive. He's clearly done very well for himself by marrying Elizabeth Walker. And do you know what she says? This is what she says. I suppose if Miss Walker never marries, all of this one day will come to Little Sackville. They deleted that. Oh. <laughs> oh. Richard Jen asks, it's the baby. It's the little baby you saw with the measles hanging yes. out with. Right. So, so upon arriving to Cronest, what they're saying is, is that she in a carriage. Like, oh, wow. Whoa. He didn't Look leave at, her at home? No, he took her. Remember, he took her. And so he's when they're so this is the scene that's missing. They're arriving to Crow Nest, and there was a scene that Sally shot, it seems like, where the mother is like, Whoa, would you look at Crow Nest? This is fly as hell. So, um, son, are you saying to me that if Ann Walker never gets married, this will go to my grandchild? That's in, that's the right. So in this early scene, it was already on her mind. So that means she was traveling the entire time thinking, how can I exploit Ann Walker? How can I make sure that her inheritance is also our family's inheritance like right, her sister? Right. Because those are the two that share the fucking shit that was left at Lidgate. I'm hoping that those notes say things about their love for Ann Walker's no! money. Well, this is what, but this is what I mean. This is what I'm saying is that that's, this is apparently how we see her first at Cronest. And she's like, wow, this place is fly. So this be Sackville's if she doesn't get married? And then the next thing we hear about saying, well, if she does get married, she should marry my other broke, poor, loser, nephew, asshole, who was dishonorably discharged. No. Because, mm, well, I'm a horrible person. I am Mrs. Sutherland. And, well, so that happens. I, I mean, they could have left it in. It just would have made me dislike her more. And I don't even know if that's possible, I given what she said about like her. her. Yeah. yeah, it's not good. So it's just obvious that the mother is in love with money. 
I get that this is how it was. I get that so many people, including Ann Lister herself, was walking around life if you were in this life of English culture. And from the get, you were like, money, 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 wills, 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 property, property. What do you have to offer me? What do I have to offer you? This is what we're talking about. I get it. It just sucks. <laughs> it's a horrible way to live. It does. It sucks. So it does make a note that for that next morning when Marion is upset that Ann Lister did not show up for tea with Abbott's mom. Yeah, but she should have said something the day that she told them about the stones moving on Shipton land. Wait, what? I feel like the day the stones were moving on Shipton land is when she also brought up the fact that she missed Mrs. Abbott. Oh, right, right. I mean, Anne's... She's got too much on her mind to even be bothered right. with marrying shit. I got bones healing and locking back into place. Literally. And- in this scene where we have Marion um, turning up a little bit, the note started out with saying that Anne, still full of cold, sits eating breakfast with her family. No one's attempting to make conversation. Anne doesn't feel up to it, and it appears that Marion's in a bad mood. Jeremy, being a bloke, may be blissfully unaware of this, but Aunt Anne isn't. And so that's how they set up Aunt and Lister asking Marion, like, are you okay? Are you good? And Marion initially is like, no, I feel great, Aunt. I feel well. I feel fine. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Aunt Anne is like, okay, but you're really quiet. So she's like, well, if you really want to know, it's because I haven't heard anything from Mr. Abbott. Actually, that's that's why I'm upset. And in the notes, Sally has, when Ann Lister replies, oh, dear, do you think he's in the margin? It says, dumped you. <laughs> what? I can't believe Abbott has the power to dump a damn person because that is just... Maybe that'll make for Nick's uh, tea conversation that he has with someone else's <laughs> Oh, you think he's going to talk shit about the listeners? Uh, Actually, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I agree. Of course yeah. he yeah. is. Yeah, you're right. Kenny, you won't believe whose house I was just in. Lord. And there's also a note from Sally that says, Ann Lister is unusually vulnerable and low. It shines out of her. It's so unusual to see her like this. Oh, well, yes, all of that happens. It works. We see it. We're sad. It shines through. And definitely everyone at the table can tell, even though they know, don't ask Anne any questions because <laughs> she's not going to give you the answers. And from there, we are to that awful letter that brings us into the Halidofels with Anne Walker, where she refers to herself as a wretchedness itself. And the oh. note... Right. The note for Anne Lister or for Saran acting that scene says that Anne can choose to ignore this, of course, but she can see that it is a desperate cry for help and it affects her despite herself. Oh, Lord. <sighs> so from there, we are at the Sutherlands arriving at motherfucking Crone Nest and they're there and Anne is going over to Jaunt and see what's crack a because apparently they're leaving right away. And the interesting note here has to do with how they were, how they greeted each other. And so... The note she makes is, Mrs. Sutherland takes Anne's hand and offers a curtsy. On one level, this pleases Anne. On another, it makes Mrs. Sutherland and her son out as not high-ton people, not high-bred Highlanders. Anne remains subdued, not her usual ebullient self. So (laughs) it's that snobby Anne Lister coming out. So that bow and curtsy was deferential to this idea of whatever, gentry, people with old names people who are well-bred high-born right. so all that stuff understands that that's the role so she was like play. i like that you bound to me but also i don't like that you bound to me because that means you're kind of vulgar <laughs> <laughs> i care with ann lister and she does say out loud or just like express later that yeah i think actually that these bitches are vulgar the sutherlands and i feel really sorry that ann walker is gonna have to be staying with these boring house oh and there's also a note that when mrs sutherland is like a lady's physician that to ann she thinks it sounds like a quack 
if that's what people say about him. And I would agree. But the other note says, these are Anne's close families. What can she do? Uh, be polite, I guess. Propriety and all that shit. What she usually does. I mean, that seems to be, I don't want to say the safest route to go at this point, but, but yeah. So upsettingly, because that scene is cut of Anne going up the stairs, um, oh, at least for us in I was America, about to say, right? yeah. we saw it. But the notes on it are really great. It says, Anne heads up the stairs and we're in her thoughts all the way. She really doesn't want to let Anne Walker go, but she has to because Anne has to get better and needs help. And the whole thing is impossible. Everything's come to a head. This business with Anne, the business with the Rawsons, and then Marion making threats about having a greater claim to Shibden if she marries Mr. Abbott. So this is them putting us, or Sally putting us in the headspace of Anne Lister saying like, everything is fucking up. All of it is going belly up and she is not in a good way. Stuff at home, stuff with work, stuff with her girl. Everything. In the kissing scene when they first start, when Anne first gets in there and they have a note that says Anne Walker's like barely packed anything. She got lost looking through her sketchbook because she doesn't really want to go. And that when she gets in, when Anne Walker sees Anne Lister, she dives at her and Anne Lister manages to get the door shut behind her and they kiss. A big, full-on, passionate snog. Between kissing, they manage a conversation. <laughs> and, <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, manage what you can. But um, yeah, she doesn't want to go. She doesn't want Anne to leave her. And we suffered through that scene. But all of that is effectively communicated. My other favorite note from this rather heartbreaking part of the episode is when we cut to Crow Nest at night and they're making love. They're on the Amoroso. So it says Anne and Anne in bed together making love. It's very tender and gentle and lovely. They are good at this together. They are so compatible in bed. At the crucial moment or just after it, Anne Lister becomes very emotional. She starts crying, more emotional than we've ever seen her before. Anne Walker doesn't realize for a moment. So thanks, Sally. Thank you for like just putting down in the script notes that you know what we know, which is that the sexual compatibility <laughs> between Anne Lister and Anne Walker was at an all-time high. Other people on the Grubbles could only hope for the type of sexual compatibility that they had. But the thirst takes you out. So that now that is a wonderful note, and it's a testament that has been proven and doubled and tripled down on. Oh yes, they went to York the first time, and uh, I, well, mean, I shouldn't say the first time. Like we're gonna get to see them go to York again. She incurred a cross for four right. hours. Okay, four hours, four hours, four hours. Okay, and so after Ann Lister gives her emotional speech about what am I, which probably just that one line, what am I is probably all there is to draw from the diary in terms of direct inspiration. The rest of it is Sally's creative genius of putting together stuff. As far as I can tell, if I'm wrong, please someone reach out. But as far as I've been able to find, I've not been able to find anything but that line, what am I? And so I assume she was just stringing together ideas and themes and things she read in various parts of her journal, especially throughout this year, that she has moved from Veer to Ann Walker to be like, this is the general vibe of Ann Lister, this is something that I think she could say. And in the note after she delivers that, Soliloquy says that Ann Walker's emotional too. She would love to say, oh, fuck it, let's do it. But she just can't. She hasn't got the balls. They stare at each other. See, okay. That's, I don't know if I like that phrasing. Because I, I don't think it's down to just courage with Ann and Walker, obviously, because there's mental health issues involved. If you are hearing voices- I mean... And having, you know, compulsive issues, if you're suffering from agoraphobia, which she was because she was not leaving the house after a point. Like, I just don't know that it's about having the balls, especially when I would assume that someone like Ann Walker would desperately love to have the cojones to just right. do what she wants and follow her happiness and follow her bliss and chase all the O's until the end of time. 
So whatever. Not my favorite phrasing ever by Sally, but we can just move on. Uh, she finishes saying, they stare at each other, both holding each other, both tearful, both fully aware of how tragic their situation is. I don't like this. I don't like this. Uh, yeah. And now we are to the, the bitter end of this horrible episode. While the script does confirm in this scene that Ann Walker does give her a Bible. Like we said, it looks like a Bible. In life, like in real life, she doesn't actually read the transcription until later after Ann Walker's left. But the Bible giving is factual. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, so and then it fucks Ann Lister up mentally Whoa. when she reads it because she's like, fuck. That's like, okay. Imagine being supported in your psychosis and you not believing in religion, but knowing that religion is important to you. And all of a sudden you get a gift that's back, which you think is sort of like Renegi, but it's not. But it's just more of her saying that I can keep you both. <laughs> what do you mean? I am, I am Walker? I, right. Like I can keep you both dear and near to my heart. I can keep religion close to my chest and I can keep you close to my chest, even though I have to leave and I can't keep you close to my chest right now. But I wish that I could, but hold this close to your chest on the days that you get lonely and wait for me to come back. I mean, and Walker has no choice but to console and Lister with her own version of morality and what brings her comfort, which is what we were saying last episode is a double-edged sword because what brings her comfort is religion, what brings her to the dofuls. And torment is also religion. So it's one of these things where we've got to keep working at the erosion of the self-hate where this religious stuff is concerned so we can just have ladies on the happy grubbles. So even though in life she doesn't get the, she doesn't read the inscription until later, that line about being unhinged, oh, she unhinges me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is relevant to that. Description? Yeah. Well, no, no, to this sentiment. So I'm saying it's a little different than how the show does it. This is where you take inspiration and creative ingenuity and oh, you do what you want. It. So okay. the book with the inscription in the episode, she reads it right then and there and they share a moment. In life, Ann Lister sees the inscription after Ann Walker has left and then speaks to her diary about how it unhinges her then because she was already self-talking like, it's fine, she's off, I'm happy that she's gone, it's good, I was stressed the fuck out, this shit took too long, I'm so annoyed. But then she reads the stuff and she's like, and it's a scripture, she's like, bitch, I, I still love her I and I, I can't stand this, so fuck. Right. But the girl, that's how love works sometimes. I see the direction now. Right. And the script also notes that they're both tearful or tearing up. And it's not really easy to see Ann Walker's face or what could happen. I had glassy eyes and stuff. Either way, as we already know, I love the way it worked out. So it's fucking fine. I did enjoy the ending of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. For all the reasons we said in like four hours of content. <laughs> Sally does have a note that when Sutherland's mom, when Ann Lister finally makes it outside and Sutherland's mom asks, oh, is there anyone interested in Ann Walker? Is she got a sweetheart? Is she sweet on anyone? That this stings Ann bitterly. And why not? Like the bitch has not even left Crow Nest and you're like, so? Does she have a love interest? Because if she doesn't, I have a perfect person for her. I mean, yeah, sure. He's poor. He's annoying. He's ill-tempered. He doesn't know how to be responsible, but he's single. So <laughs> this will work. And the note that they have after Mrs. Sutherland is basically like, okay, so uh, my shitty ass uh, nephew, what the fuck? What's up with him? The note says, Anne can't believe she just said that. Right. So blatantly, it galls right. her. It galls us all, and It galls us all. And then after she's like, I hope Miss Walker would never marry anyone to pay their fucking debts. The note reads... There's no mistaking the edge in Anne's voice. It hits home. That's we see, right. Yeah. We see Mrs. Sutherland's face alter. <laughs> That's because y'all not friends no more. <laughs> Propriety is lost. And so as we speculated, and I feel like I must have read this at some point, maybe online or something, but what we were saying about them wanting to kiss and the last farewell. Oh, yeah. So the note reads, 
M approaches Anne to say goodbye. They linger, both longing to kiss one another passionately one last time. But of course they can't. Suddenly they hug one another very tight and linger perhaps slightly longer than they should. And after Anne Lister says, you'll be all right, look after yourself, the note continues. They break gently apart and still we feel they might kiss, but how can they? Suddenly, Anne turns and gets into the coach, and Captain Sutherland turns to Anne Lister to say goodbye. Mr. Staff, and then off to the thing. So that's basically what we said, that we had the feeling that they wanted to kiss each other, just like from seeing each other when Anne Walker first came out of Cronus, and then also just after they finish embracing and she's getting into the cart, but they cannot. Uh, it's just like to see the longing, to understand what they want for each other, the fact that she's going against her will. Let me get this mic to your mouth. Sorry. (laughs) Look at your waveform, bitch! I can't with you. That's my (laughs) waveform. Listen, ultimately, what you have to just picture in this moment is people being resigned to actions that they don't want to be resigned to. Getting in this carriage means going away for weeks. Like, no one wants to go away for weeks. No one wants that. Um, No one... (laughs) I mean... No, for it's gonna be longer than weeks. I'm gonna just tell you that right now. So I feel like I said that, but your ass is in the gym. So yeah, get the sniffles going because that's exactly that's where we are. That's what's happening, and they don't get, even get to kiss goodbye because the hateful hats across the world are always trying to stop the PDA. I mean, not trying to stop it, but it's just like you don't feel safe. I mean, that's that's the reality is that you don't feel safe depending on where you are. If you're lucky enough to live in a liberal city like we do in New York City, you will feel safer. But what's unfortunate is that, as we know, uh, bigots have been trying to flex in New York City against the gays and other groups. And it's just sort of like, okay, uh, (laughs) I don't have to bring out my my jaunt, but I will. So and Walker, she leaves with her brother-in-law and her mother-in-law. And episode and the script notes come to a close. And then we get the acapella Jack the Last. <laughs> because your favorite. You. It's your favorite acapella. Good Lord. So <laughs> I feel like I'm going to say one more thing and then take the intermission with your fucking drunk ass. <laughs> yeah, guys, there's probably going to be an intermission as in, I mean, you won't know. You won't be able to tell, but we'll be able to tell. Because right. if you were to see this motherfucker, I, hey, hey, I should hey. sneak take a pic. <laughs> if, you, if you guys... You know, you, I guess it's my fault because I know what happened the first time you went in the gin and then you're like, I'm going to the gin again. And granted, we did. It was donated and Walker gin. But you, I should have known when you went and got that second glass while I was still on my first that we were going down the path that we've already been down. But I couldn't taste Which is you it. with that smile, half leaning <laughs> in your chair. <laughs> I couldn't taste it. The problem. You couldn't taste it. So you're like, more, more, more. No, 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 no. No, it's too late now. Yeah. There's no more. <laughs> I took that picture for the Patreon so I can show them what bullshit you're on. Hi, everyone, and welcome to your first Ginter mission. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you heard just not a few seconds ago what I was saying about Terrence and, well, we had to separate a day. Well, I mean, who'd have thought that we needed an intermission for a historical nightcap so soaked with doffles and that, gin in and, your okay, cup, fine. in your belly. And, and gin. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason that one should not want to run to comfort when you're surrounded <laughs> by so many doffles. So, it's yes, there, there may have been a few more sips Oh, that picture is, uh, that happy picture of you is going to make its way to Instagram. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, guys. So, end of part one and uh, part two coming up real soon. Enjoy.